South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And a very good Saturday morning to everybody out there across Texas. And, uh, well, that's where you probably listen live. But, golly, people apparently listen on the Internet all over the place. And I certainly welcome you and uh, really do appreciate it. Just If you're calling from somewhere a long way away, let me know where you're calling from because uh, the answer to the question for somebody that lives... Uh, Somewhere in a very distant place, shall we say, maybe very different than if you happen to live uh, just around 1604 or somewhere. But that's a whole other story. I just, uh, I was just so flattered. I had a lady in the nursery uh, a little over a week ago and said, "Oh, I just listen to you every Saturday and Sunday." And uh, from my home where I live now, and I said, "Where's that?" And she said, "Greece." <laughs> and so, anyway, it is fun, and uh, I tell you, I, I think I do know a fair amount about South Texas and plants around here. But you may baffle me sometimes if you're way off in a different part of the country or the world. But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, we have two open lines left, so grab them. You just heard the number two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Lots of things to talk about. Big change in the weather coming this week but uh what is important to you is the main thing that counts here and kathy and sandy are my next two callers kathy is up first good morning kathy good morning bob good morning i was wondering um i've seen potato vines in planters throughout the city Uh usually in front of establishments and um someone told me that they take very little water and you don't want to overwater them and I was wondering what kind of plants would be good to put in a pot along with a potato vine so that you don't overwater the potato vine. Well, uh, first of all, I'm going to discourage you from planting a potato vine right now. Um, they're not really a house plant, and they're going to freeze if you put them outside. So uh, if this is in a very protected area or if you want to spend the winter covering them um potato vines are wonderful plants they are super fast growing they are colorful there's a tricolor variety there are three or four black varieties there's several uh in the greener shades especially the lime green ones so don't get me wrong i love potato vines but they are going to grow quickly they're going to spread out i don't know that i would agree that they are drought tolerant but uh they're they're forgiving if you let them get very dry they're going to droop like mad but normally they're going to perk right back up when they get some water but anyway if you uh if you want to plant something along with potato vine there are golly there there's so many different things if you're looking for permanent plants uh things like in the shade you can grow plant things like giant liriope with them you can plant aspidistra with them you can plant uh, most any small shrubs with them. If you're looking for sunny things to plant with them and you want color, uh, golly, you can plant any anything that grows a little bit taller. In the summer months, we combine them uh, with salvias. We combine them with uh, uh, both annual and perennial salvias. We combine them with the plant called angelonia. We combine them with Pentas. Uh, so there are lots of different choices. In fact, there's not much I will tell you would not go well with potato vine. But 
I'd, I'd be reluctant. Uh, I mean, it's not going to happen in San Antonio, but where I live in the hill country, we're looking at a freeze this coming, I believe it's probably Wednesday morning and Thursday morning. So we're just right at the end of the season for planting potato vine outside. Okay. Yeah, I was considering in the spring. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, if you're thinking about next spring, Golly, the sky's the limit is what you can put them with. You can put them with plumbago. You can put them with, you know, any one of about 30 different kinds of salvia. You can put them with Turk's cap. You can put them uh, with tropical plants like hibiscus or bougainvilleas. Uh, I saw some gorgeous ixoras down in the valley a couple of weeks ago, uh, and they would be, you know, very attractive with potato vines and uh, a lot of people like growing some of the smaller palms in containers. Uh, potato vine would be fine planted in with some of those. There's just not a whole lot I would discourage you from planting with potato vine. We have a big bed of it uh, out, um, you know, by the street in front of our nursery. My business partner plants, so she's wonderful with making mixed pots. And uh, almost every year she has it planted in combination with Angelonia. This year she has some beautiful uh, uh, different forms of uh, irisine and alternanthra and things like that planted with it. So uh, the sky is pretty much the limit. Uh, potato vine will grow in bright shade or it will grow in blazing hot sun. Even the variegated form, which if you look at it, you'd think it's kind of a wimp. You'd think, gosh, anything with that little green and that much gray and white and pink in it, you'd think that must not be a very strong plant. But the prettiest bed of the variegated potato vine I ever saw was up in the Dallas Botanical Garden on a west-facing slope where it got blazing afternoon sun, 105 degrees, and it was just sitting there just gorgeous. So they're, they're one of the most resilient plants you can plant, and uh, they'll, grow, they'll grow several inches a week. They are something you can buy in a small size and have an enormous plant. They're beautiful in hanging baskets. Uh, I just, I'll, I'll tell you a lot of nice things about potato vines. They very seldom have any insect problems, and uh, uh, <laughs> they're just excellent plants. But, but what you plant with them is really strictly up to you because uh, – uh, the chances are the plant that you plant in with your potato vine is going to be much more picky about sunlight and water and things like that. But uh, uh, I would go with whatever combinations you like. But I'd, I would certainly look at some of the colorful foliage. Uh, you know, coleus is beautiful with potato vine, um, as, as are several different varieties of copper plants. And then when you start moving into uh, summertime or warm weather flowers, uh, the the list is just almost endless in potato vines who complement for most everything. Just just be aware, you'll probably once a month you'll need to get out your shears and give it a haircut, or it'll take over the yard. Okay, thank you. And then um, I'd like to know. I have a um, raised two raised beds in the backyard, and they they're tall, six feet, because they have a deer fence around them. Since mm-hmm. I'm not completely enclosed with a fence around my yard, and I was wondering what. Where could I get and what type of plastic could I get to put over the top and down the sides of the entire raised bed so that it will, you know, hopefully stay, that the cold won't be so bad with it. You know, that won't, it'll keep the stuff from freezing. Yeah, if you if you go with plastic, you're going to have to build a frame to put it on because remember that, that 
plastics is like a parachute. The wind hits it, and it's going to want to take it. If it's blowing from the north, it wants to take it to the coast. If it's blowing from the south, it wants to take it to the hill country. Um, there are actually some woven fabrics. My favorite is one called Insulate. It's the letter N-S-U-L-A-T-E. Uh, insulate will let light through, enough light that you, you know, you can leave it on things all all winter long. Uh, it lets enough wind through that it's not as bad about trying to blow away, and yet it uh, uh, it's a very good insulator. Um, if you put plastic over it, you're probably going to have to provide some sort of supplemental heat. Insulate alone will give you 5 to 10 degrees protection without any supplemental heat at all. So I'm, I'm going to encourage you to use, and as a general category, we call them row covers, floating row covers. Uh, I've had very bad luck with the ones that are green colored, very good luck with the white ones like the insulate. And that's going to be a lot easier to work with than plastic is. Okay, and where do you purchase that? Virtually any good nursery will have it. I know they carry it at Fanix. We carry it in uh, like 10 by 12 sheets at Shades of Green. I'm pretty sure Rainbow has it. Pretty sure uh, oh, Hill Country African Violets would have it. Um, so any, any of your good nurseries uh, will have the insulate. Oh, so those are the sheets that I have bought at your store over the last couple of years? Probably so. From freezing? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so just put that. Okay. Yeah. And you can put it on, we put it on with clothespins. Some people put it on, you know, basically with a safety pin or something like that. But uh, there are many different ways to use it. Okay. Very good. That's what I wanted to know. Thank you. You're welcome, Kathy. Okay. Thank you for the call. Okay. Bye. From Kathy to Sandy. Good morning, Sandy. Morning, Bob. How good are you? morning. I'm off to a good start. Uh, uh, got a pretty good rain this week. It's been, you know, nice and warm up to this point. So it's been a good week. How about you? Well, I had a good week until I got home from work and found a receipt on my front door from one of these chemical lawn treatment companies that came mm-hmm. to the wrong house. Huh. Because... I'm all organic. I've always been. I followed you for years and done everything you recommend. And these people showed up without my permission and apparently applied uh, pre-emergent and broadleaf weed control. And I'm sure it was all chemical junk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, and uh, granular fertilizer and pre-emergence and all this junk now i'm quite concerned what can i, I do first of all send them a bill for send them a bill for five hundred dollars and tell them you're going to sue them if they don't pay it uh because and you know tell them you are going to have to spend a lot of money to detoxify your yard you know after they came in and and believe it or not this is more common than you think and they are on very poor legal footing. You could probably take them to court and get $10,000 out of them. But um, I, at the very least, I'd start out by sending them a bill for $500 and threaten them with legal well, action. Um, what, I, what I'm what i most concerned about is what can I do to undo on well, my yard uh, yeah. what they and that, done. That's the next thing I'm going to tell you. And... Um, the things that the things that break down there there are two ways to get rid of the chemicals one of them one way is to bind them up to get them to lock on to something else 
so they're no longer out there to bother your pets, your kids, yourself. Uh, so uh, we, we use basically some form of charcoal to tie those toxic chemicals up, and it works against a lot of different ones and basically makes them, if not harmless, makes them much less harmful, keeps them from moving into the soil, keeps them from washing into the water. Um, so you can buy very finely powdered charcoal that um, is what they call micronized, that you can actually put it in solution. It doesn't, I mean, into suspension, doesn't really go into solution. You can spray around your yard. You can get a granular um, form that's a little bit, you know, bigger that you can put on as dry chips. Uh, it's probably going to be sold under the name of Biochar, B-I-O-C-H-A-R. And this is a way that you would bind up a lot of the toxic materials, and I think it would be a very important part of a detox program. The other thing you can do is spray with things that encourage the microbial life in your yard, which will break down and naturally detoxify many different uh, things. Now, there are some herbicides, what we call the sulfonated ureal herbicides, that are used mainly in agriculture, that nothing on earth breaks them down. But things like the nasty 2,4-D products and Roundup and things like that are broken down by microbes. You will encourage those microbes by spraying with uh, molasses. Liquid molasses is a great product to use. The so-called Garrett Juice Mix, and you can buy that name under the name of Garrett Juice, or you can go to DirtDoctor.com and, you know, read about it and make your own. Uh, you can even mix it all together. If I had the misfortune of, uh, of having that happen, I probably would take Garrett Juice. I would add molasses at the rate of about two tablespoons per gallon to that, and I would spray the yard weekly with that for the next month or so. So uh, th those are the two ways you detoxify. You either get something that will bind uh, bind up the the toxic products, or you break get something that will break them down. The binding happens almost instantly. The breakdown occurs over not too long a period of time, depending what the chemical is. But um, like I say, for binding, some form of charcoal is going to be. Um, the, the best way to go for breaking down something like Garrett juice, something like molasses, or a combination of those two things will detoxify the yard. But you should not have to pay for this. The people that did this should pay you for your time as well as the products you're going to need to detoxify it. So the fact that it rained within 24 hours of them putting all this stuff down, what, what mm -hmm. is that going to do? That soaked it into the ground, so it's going to be harder to get rid of. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and and you know, I'm I'm the last person in the world. I think there are way too many lawsuits and frivolous things out there. But if you let these people get away with it, they'll do the same thing to somebody else. If you teach them a lesson, hopefully they'll be a little bit more careful with it. But yeah, I'm most concerned with detoxifying uh, your yard, Sandy. But um, those are the two ways you will go about doing it. And when will I start to see the adverse impacts of what they did if if these other things you know don't don't uh, and that's, get done immediately? That's that's a real good question, and um, you know I don't I don't mean to sound glib about this, but in the case of your animals, you know um, 
when they get cancer, that's when you're going to see the adverse effect of it. Ask Dr. Kirby about that. Um, when you see if they're using 2,4-D products, when you see uh, tender things in your yard or in your garden, when you see them start to brown out, get big brown spots on the leaves, when you see that your wildflowers aren't coming up like they usually do because of the pre-emergence they put down, um, you will know. But most of the toxic products, uh, their effects are not immediately noticeable and, um, uh, you know, some of them, some of them can last years, some of them can last longer than that. But it's, it's the unseen factor. It's, uh, you know, and, and, you know, keep in mind your dogs and cats and other creatures that live in nature, they don't wear shoes. They're going to absorb this stuff directly through their paws, through the pads on their feet. And, uh, yeah, you know, they got too much of it when they, you know, when they get sick. Right. So uh, I tell you what, if you want to talk a little more, we certainly can. Uh, I'll get Don to put you on hold. We've got to go to news here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right. Sandy, one more thing. I know you went on with your uh, Saturday morning, but if you go to Howard's website, uh, dirtdoctor.com, I believe he has a section up there on the detox program. He has something up on the sick tree treatment, or, which uh, is also a good thing. But uh, uh, you should be able to find I just didn't have time to do it on that break. But I'm pretty sure if you go to dirtdoctor.com, you will find what he calls the detox program, which just tells you a little bit more about the things that I was just telling you about. Um, it looks like my next two callers are going to be Lynn and Janice. And uh, let's just get back to the phone calls, Don. Lynn is first. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Bob. Good um, morning. I'd like, I'd like to ask you about, um, I'm thinking that I would like a consultation. I'm not sure if it would be a landscape architect. My concerns are that I'd like to have someone come out to my um, property, which just is an, uh, a home. Uh, a residence in San Antonio, and I'd like to talk about um, water runoff uh, um, due to the slope of the property, uh, and in light of that water absorption, uh, soil con uh, preservation uh, after the the droughts that we've had, uh, mm -hmm. climate-wise irrigation, water collection, and hardscape. <laughs> Okay. Well, you, you've got a long list of, of wishes there. Um, if water runoff and is a major problem, um, you probably you probably need a a good not just any but a good landscape architect who can come out and talk about French drains and berms and things like that. I'll tell you where I would start, though, and uh, it's this fellow that I, I do ads for every week named Sam Sitterly. Uh, his company is called Green Grow, G-R-E-E-N-G-R-O-W, Green Grow Organics. And Sam has been doing this for 40 years, uh, and he's pretty broadly trained and extremely broadly experienced with, uh, you know, maintaining soil, with keeping soil healthy, uh, about plants. Like I say, he's he's been a consultant for about 40 years now, and everything he does is organic. So um, uh, I'm happy to recommend him. In fact, if you've got a pen, a pen or pencil and want to write down his number, it's 210 
599-5565. And um, uh, you'll have to call him and, and do get a quote first because he does charge something for the service depending on what you need. But uh, my first call would be to Sam, and if it's beyond his capabilities, if it actually involves putting in a French drain or something like that, I'm sure he can refer you to somebody with the people and the equipment to do it. But uh, he's the first call I would make. Uh, you can go to his website, which is greengrowerorganics.com, and read a little bit more about him and all about him. But uh, I've known him for several years. He was on uh, my board of the Organic Roundtable at uh, uh, Festival of Flowers last spring. So uh, good guy. And, and like I say, he's I, I have no hesitation in recommending that you start with him. But uh, uh, be sure you do get a quote from him on price before you call him out. Well, even if it's, I mean, it's not that serious to need a French train, but uh-huh. but uh, I'm not, I mean, I know he's into, like, growing grass. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested really in investing in, like, um, St. Augustine or Bermuda. This, yeah, no, I'm no, just... no. He's, he's, he's basically into plant care, and uh, many people call him <laughs> because of... Uh, uh, you know, they're concerned about their grass, but, uh, he's not the guy that's gonna plant or anything like that. He's, you're, you're paying for his advice and suggestions. He does things, uh, you probably just heard my caller who got real bad deal when a chemical company came around and sprayed a bunch of poison all over her yard. He offers that kind of program on an organic basis, but I'll talk about that another time. But, uh, anyway, he's, he is, probably the most capable person that I know of to answer your questions and he he's not going to sell you plants and he's not going to sell you installation and things like that so basically all you're doing is buying a little bit of his time he's not going to be he's not going to be trying to sell you a landscape job I guess is what I'm trying to say but he I, I think he would be you know the one if you want somebody to come out to your property and look at it now uh, you can get you know, help at no charge from most good nurseries and uh, some better than others, but by, you know, taking pictures and things like that and, in effect, taking your yard to them, uh, they can probably uh, answer specific questions about, you know, different things. And uh, um, I know we do that all the time. We don't design landscapes, as it were, but uh, there's not a day goes by that somebody doesn't come in you know, with pictures of some problem they're trying to address in their yard. And uh, this time of year when business is quite, not quite as intense, shall we say, as it is in the spring and uh, all, uh, most nurserymen I know, and, and some of them are more capable than others, but um, most people that I know would happily, you know, look at your situation with you and, uh, you know, give you give you some good helpful advice and answer the questions at no charge. But if you want somebody to come out, uh, you don't want somebody to come out and try to sell you a landscape job, and that's why I think somebody like Sam would probably be the first person I would call. Okay. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure, and it's a great question, Lynn. I appreciate you calling this morning. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Uh, next in line is Janice. Uh, good morning, Janice. Good morning, Bob. It's Good always morning. so nice to hear your positive voice at this time of the morning. <laughs> well, I'm I'm positive that I would rather be in bed asleep, but I'm also positive that I enjoy what I do, and I'm happy to be here for you. Well, good. I have a couple of questions. First of all, 
Is there a difference between a Rotama tree and a Palo Duro tree? Those are common names. Uh, I've not heard of Palo Duro. I've heard of Palo Verde. And, um, oh, that's it. Palo Verde, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, they, they are the same thing. Of course, to me, they're Parkinsonia alata, and that's when, when I'm buying plants or when I'm talking about plants, I, I, I can't give common names or I wind up sometimes. It's like if I, if I called a nursery and said, send me some wandering Jew, I'd probably get about 15 different plants. But if I said, send me Tradescanthia, blah, 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 I would know. So no, Palo Verde and, uh, Rotama are two names for the same plant. Uh, another, common name for it is green thread um it's you know it, it's an interesting plant sadly in san antonio an awful lot of them froze and died uh in the big freeze in 21 in fact we had one probably six eight inches in diameter here at the nursery that was on the property when we bought it years ago and uh it turned up its toes and died so uh, in the hill country, you're not going to see many of them because every few years we get a cold enough winter to hurt them. South side of San Antonio on down into South Texas, they're an attractive tree. They have yellow flowers in the spring. They're very unusual foliage, and uh, they are thorny. <laughs> you're not going to be wanting to be right. climbing that tree, but uh, they're an interesting and unusual tree, and they, they grow moderately quickly, but... Uh, if you're, you know, north of uh, north of downtown, you're looking at something that may not be cold hardy for you. Okay. Uh, my next question is: I have some xylosomas planted. Uh huh. Trying to trying to redo my green screen in my yard. Right. And uh, I love the xylosomas, but several of the larger ones in the freeze, the bark split, mm -hmm. and um, over time, you know over the next the next year and then the drought and the heat they've really succumbed so anyway so i'm gonna plant some more xylosomas i uh -huh. had a young man come and he seemed like he was doing everything the right way but on one of them in the past week it's dropped almost half of the leaves okay green leaves are just falling off would that have been from a root damage or you know they it, were watered in and they've been watered yeah it It is quite possible that the root ball got broken up, especially if you have others near that plant that are doing well. It probably was damaged in planting, and uh, I would I would talk to them about replacing it. Or uh, you can always uh, treat it with something like Super Thrive. You can treat with Garrett Juice. There are many things that will help a damaged plant like that come back out. And... Uh, you know, this is certainly a, we're getting into a time of year that's among the least stressful time for the plants. Um, if it were me, what I would do, I would probably call him and say, I need you to come look at this, and hopefully he will volunteer to do something about it. But short of that, I, you know, I would I would treat it with uh, probably Garrett Juice and Super Thrive, and I would expect it to recover. Well, the the stems or the, you know, the little branches on it, Mm -hmm. are still green yeah it's just like i say just an immediate leaf drop on about half the plant uh, that that would indicate to me that um you know if uh, uh if they turned yellow and dropped then i would say it was either too dry when he planted it or it got too dry but if it was just no. green leaves falling off uh something you know something happened to the root ball while it was being either transported or installed 
And like I say, I think the plant will probably recover, but if you paid good money to buy it and have it planted, then I would um, I would certainly expect that he might want to do something with that. Okay. And then my last question, my big oaks out front, um, you know, they're more than 100 years old, so it's not like yeah. they've ever been totally dependent on any man-made yeah. watering. Right. But one of them is really dropping its leaves like it was February instead of October. Well, that is drought. I think it's probably I think it's probably drought, and it's a good thing if it drops its leaves. If the leaves turn brown and stay on the tree, that's a bad thing. And I'm seeing live oaks. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing red oaks. uh, I'm seeing hackberries. I'm seeing dead trees. When I drive, either going to my ranch or going to my partner's ranch uh, through two slightly different areas of the hill country. I'm seeing trees that, uh, big, major trees that I know are 80, 90 years old, uh, that are in trouble. And, uh, it's just drought is what it is. But like I say, it's much worse if the tree turns brown and the leaves stay on, uh, if the, if the leaves just drop off. That's the tree trying to protect itself. Remember that what happens with water, what water does for a tree, uh, the tree takes the water up through its roots, and then it's lost out through the leaves through this process we call transpiration. If the plant chemically senses that it's losing water faster through the leaves than it can take it up through the roots, it's only natural that it says, I'm going to get rid of some leaves here. I'm, I'm losing too much. I'm, I'm bleeding too much water out into the air through my leaves. So the plant drops some leaves, and that's a natural way that a plant compensates for drought damage. And... We're seeing a fair amount of that, but sadly, we're also seeing quite a lot of trees that the combination of the drought and the heat uh, has just killed all or part of them. So, uh, right. I, at I this see point, dead red oaks everywhere. Yeah, uh, and and that's partly from the cold and partly from the drought. But if your live oak is is just dropping leaves, the one thing I would get you to look at is look very carefully at an individual leaf. Uh, I'm sure you know what chlorosis looks like, which is where the leaf yellows, but the veins remain green, darker green. Well, if you had the reverse of that, you'd see what we call venal necrosis, which means the leaf stays dark green, but the veins turn red to brown in color. And that's a fairly typical symptom of oak wilt, or it could be a lightning strike or other things. So pick up some leaves and look at them very carefully. If they're just typical green leaves falling off the trees, just, you know, put a little more money in the collection plate and say a little more intensive prayer for more rain, because we sure had some good rains around the area, and that's the only thing that's, I I mean, a big tree like that, you just can't get enough water to it from a hose, especially if you're on a well. But uh, I'm at, at this point. I'm not concerned. I'd, I'd rather see that tree dropping leaves, uh, and and I'm seeing I'm seeing more elms doing this than oaks. But uh, that's really not a bad sign. That's a tree's normal response to drought. So I, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it at this point. All right. So if I just water heavily and put a whole bag of Medina out there around it, well, I, I would through the spring. I, yeah, I would, uh, putting some Medina out there would be a good thing, but, uh, I would probably use some Garrett juice and I would probably use some Super Thrive. There are things like that that are specifically designed to combat shock in trees, and that's basically what's happening. So, um, 
The, the one thing that you want to keep in mind is you don't want to water too often, but when you water, you want to water really thoroughly because I'm seeing people all over killing red buds by watering them too often in this, you know, heat and drought. And the soil needs to get moderately dry between waterings because water doesn't kill anything, but when you get so much water that drives oxygen out of the soil, the plant's roots have to have oxygen, and if you've got so much water you've depleted the oxygen, then things fold up and die, and uh, people say you killed it with overwatering. You didn't kill it with overwatering. You killed it with watering too often. So when you water, make it really, really, really thorough. But you're not going to need to do that more than every two to four weeks, uh, most likely. And like I say, I'd probably use some Garrett juice and some Super Thrive. If you want to go a little further, you can uh, put some compost over the root zone. You could add a little bit of powdered mycorrhizal fungus uh, to the area or a mycorrhizae product. Uh, but those are all things that would be good to do. But uh, I, I, again, uh, what you're describing to me would not be great cause of concern. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Again, great day. questions. You did the same, Janice. Thanks for the call. All right. Okay. Let's get a, another break in here. And by the way, you got some open lines. Uh, give me a call, 210-599-5555. Looks like I get to talk about Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. That's the next thing on my log. I guess I practically did a commercial for him earlier, but uh, Sam's the guy that and and this is something new that he's doing now. He's been doing consulting work for 40 years, but he has seen examples, and he, he just hates all these companies that come around and spray poisons and, uh, oh, tell you we're going to come around every quarter and just give your yard everything it needs and chemical fertilizer and herbicides and that sort of stuff. Well, Sam combats that by offering a program that's uh, the same but different. He'll come around on a quarterly basis, but he won't make you sign a contract. He won't lock you into anything and everything he does will be organic you know fertilizing with compost tea uh, insect control with beneficial nematodes i know on an annual basis he'll come out and add micronutrients it's uh, sort of a new idea he's had and i think it's going over very well so if you would like a company that you could rely on to come by on a quarterly basis that you're not having to call and set it up well ask sam about that when you give him a call he also continues his work that he's been doing for 40 years of independent consulting, helping people with their yards, letting them know what's right, what's wrong, and advising them of how to correct problems. That That's what he's been doing for a long, long time, and it's still a big part of his business. Now, like I told my caller earlier, I would certainly uh, get an estimate uh, you know, from him on anything he would like him to do, but he has thousands of satisfied clients across the area, and whether you want him to come out on an as-needed basis whether you want to set up a quarterly program with them, you know, it's all strictly up to you, and there are no contracts to sign and no long-term commitments. Learn more by going to greengrowerorganics.com. And by the way, his motto is saving the world one organic landscape at a time. I really like that. And uh, uh, but, uh, go to greengrowerorganics.com. His number, if you'd like to call him, is 210-599-5565. Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening here on a beautiful Saturday morning out there. And uh, potential for a little bit more rainfall over the next few days. And then we get the big, big change with it getting really cold. But 
that and so much more to talk about. Looks like Jeanette and Beverly and Nancy are my next three callers. Jeanette is first in line. Good morning, Jeanette. Morning, morning. How you doing? Off to a good start. It's going to be a beautiful day out there. Yeah, it, for every day it is for me. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Pride of Barbados. I've got uh-huh. three gallon containers that I bought. I bought them about mm, four weeks ago, and I I don't know whether to put them in. Wait till this cold spell's over. I or should I do it today? Or what do you think? And where do you live? About approximately. Uh, you know where Stone Oak is, kind of sixteen oh four and two eighty. Oh, absolutely, North, absolutely. Kind of right there. Yeah, it's you're probably going to get near freezing. You're probably going to get close to frost. Um, if it were me, I probably, you know, I just don't trust the weather, man. But it looks like it's we're going to have a couple of chilly days, and then it's going to warm up again. So I probably would hold off a week and plant them. But when you plant them, I would mulch them heavily because they're going to freeze back pretty much to ground level. And quite frankly, this late in the year, they're not going to have much time to get established. But since we know that it's going to get near freezing a couple of mornings this week, I I personally would hold off uh, until I think we've got two cold mornings. I'll look at my forecast in a minute. But I think it's Wednesday and Thursday are the two cold mornings. I would probably plant it on Friday, plant your Pride of Barbados like you normally would. But I would put two to three inches of mulch over it. Don't worry about protecting the top of the plant because it's going to freeze no matter what you do. But at this point, you really want to insulate the lower stems and root system. Okay. Uh, dig my hole, fill it with water. Should I put any fertilizer in the bottom? It's probably, yeah, on a good organic fertilizer, I think. But, yes, you're absolutely right. Dig your hole and dig an angular hole, a square hole, a rectangle, something like that. Because if you dig a round hole, the roots just want to keep circling around in the hole. You dig an angular hole, as soon as they get to a corner, they take off in the surrounding soil, and that's what you want. So dig that hole, fill it with water, be sure it all drains out within a few hours. Then plant your Pride of Barbados. Fill the hole back in with the soil that you took out. That's one thing about stone oak. You've got a lot of rock out there, but the soil that you have is pretty good. And so I I wouldn't be worried about really improving the soil. Once again, you want the plant to just grow through the native soil and continue into the soil around it. So uh, just fill back in with the same soil, two, three inches of mulch on top. Um, water thoroughly whenever you can stick your finger through the mulch and it's dried out, and uh, your Pride of Barbados should do just fine. I've got some color essentials. I know you don't know anything about that, right? <laughs> I, I've heard of it. <laughs> no, yeah, I, that, the, that is a ma- magic fairy dust, let me tell you. Now, do would it help if I put a little bit of that in the bottom where I put sure. the root or sure. on top? Or how would, uh, you, I would, how would you use I would, that if you have it? I would put it in the bottom of the hole, and after I plant it, I would put a little bit on top as well, and then put the mulch on top of that. Okay, gotcha. And we're we're talking yeah. like half a cup or something like that in each case. You're not going to use a whole I lot of it. I that stuff, but man, it is. <laughs> well, we we love a product that a company called Maestro makes called te- uh, called uh, Rose Glow. And so we went to the yeah. company that, and, and asked Gary DeMasters owned it at the time. And we said, Gary, if you were doing it over, what would you change? And he told us about, I don't even remember what they all were, five different additional things he would have added. And we said, okay, 
add those things to it and put it in a bag and we'll just call it color essentials so it's just improved rose glow is what it is but uh, a lot of people use it straight a lot of people mix it half and half with the basic uh, organic fertilizer and and a lot of people like you call it their magic fairy dust because it really does make yes, things grow and bloom really yeah i have i have another problem i have some uh, my carpet grass is green as green as green as you could ever want to and uh-huh. then in spots there's some spots that are bald you know they're dead uh-huh. and it looks like it's spreading uh at this time of year what would be the best thing to do for that well, if it's spreading, it could be brown patch. It could also be grubworm damage, but it's awful late for that. But we, this is a time of year when I have warm days and cool nights. That's when, that's when brown patch it can cause some issues. Doesn't usually kill the whole thing, but it does, you know, kill a lot of grass and then you've got a lot of green in between. I would treat it with some whole ground cornmeal. Just sprinkled around out there, around the areas, or, you know, over the whole yard. It's not going to hurt anything. But you will stop the fungus with the cornmeal. And then any spots that really look bad, I put like half an inch of compost. This is a great time to put compost over your whole yard. But uh, if I had spots, whether it's from summer's heat or whether it's from brown patch, uh, I'd put a thin layer of compost over the top. And uh, uh, the the test to see if it's brown patch go out where you have one of these dead areas around the edge where you think it might be spreading take hold of a leaf blade and lift up if the blade pulls away from the runner and it looks kind of old brown and watery where it used to be attached to the runner that's the definitive sign of brown patch uh, and if you have that, I definitely would use whole ground cornmeal. Otherwise, I would just, you know, put half an inch of compost over as much of the lawn as you have the time and energy and money to do. Okay, question. I have uh, a li- live oak leaves, you know, which are very thick and mm-hmm. coarse and whatever, and they take a while to deteriorate. Uh-huh. Would you sprinkle some of those, or is that too heavy of a of a cover for it? Well, it's not too heavy. It's not too heavy a cover for it, but it doesn't provide all the things that compost does. Compost, you know, is is broken down leaves and broken down lots of different kinds of organic material, uh, to where it's formed a lot of humic acid, where it's formed a lot of very different good compounds, and those leaves will eventually turn into compost. But uh, just yeah, at this absolutely. point, they haven't started breaking down, so they're 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 going to cover things, going to provide a layer of insulation. But they're not going to add anything in the way of microbial life and, you know, humates and things like that. Uh, that's what you would actually want compost for. But don't throw those leaves away. Rake them into a pile. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. yeah it's uh, there. They will make good compost, but at this point, they're not compost. They're not there yet. Okay. And what about water? Should I, should I flood it or should I be scarcity with it? Or what about water? Well, if. If you've a lot of sown oak has gotten some pretty good rains over the past few days, uh, you never should have to water your yard more than once a week. And if you've gotten good rain, you certainly don't need to water it at all. And as we go into the winter, it'll need water less frequently. You still want to be sure that when you water, you put down at least an inch of water. But uh, I'd be going out and sticking my finger down in the dirt and seeing how, you know, how, how much it's dried out. And I'd let it dry out at least an inch deep before you water again and uh, like I say I don't think this week you're going to need to do any watering 
and as the weather cools off and the sun gets less intense, you're probably going to back off to only watering every three or four weeks by the time we're really into winter. Okay. And also, I wanted to wish you a happy Halloween, and don't let the ghosty goblins get you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that very, very much, and, uh, and, and as also, always, don't get all the go take all the candy from the kids now. <laughs> hey, you know how that I, goes. I well, let's just say that uh, my front door is about half a mile off the highway, so uh, I don't uh, I don't get many trick or treaters, but uh, I still think Halloween's a happy happy time, and uh, um, you know a few people have spoiled it, but it's it's a good thing, and uh, you have an enjoyable time as well, and uh, I hope all the gremlins are good gremlins that come around to see you. They're gonna be, you're gonna have to bottle them up because it's gonna be a cold this year i'm telling you well actually it it looks like we're going to be very cold the middle of the week but looks like that we're then going to uh warm up toward the weekend so uh you know it's definitely going to be time for long sleeves but it's not going to be time for heavy jackets unless something changes so all in all it's uh at least it's going to make some deer hunters happy because that's what comes around next weekend too definitely that for sure okay you have a wonderful day god bless you thank you thank you for the call all right, got to get a break in here. Beverly and Nancy will be my next two callers, and uh, looks like I get to talk to you about Medina Agriculture and a company that makes so many fine products. And uh, I'm going to tell you about a new one. I don't have any experience with it yet, so uh, I haven't decided exactly where I'll be using it. Uh, but you know I really, really love their has-to-grow products, the has-to-grow plant, the has-to-grow lawn. Well, they have a new has-to-grow. They're calling Super-Grow Plus that has more organic nitrogen in it for people that just want a little higher nitrogen so check that out it may not even be on the nursery shelves yet it's just uh, always like letting you know what's going on with Medina and they're always looking for new and different really wonderful products I'll tell you what their growing green fertilizer is one of the best winterizers you could ever use doesn't say winterizer because we use it 12 months out of the year but if you're looking for something that will help your plants get ready for colder weather um, the the products like the Grow and Green for a dry fertilizer, the has to grow plant or has to grow lawn for the liquids, those are all you need. And of course the Medina Plus, which is an improved form of their soil activator, works as a great root stimulator and starter solution, helps break down thatch in your yard, helps all those leaves that are coming down decompose and turn into good mulch, good compost, but it makes a lot of quality products. They also package some different things like the best orange oil in the business, Oh, gosh, there's so many things. There are molasses. There are uh, liquid humates. Just if it says Medina on the label, you know there's a quality product inside. Look for their products at your favorite nursery or garden center. If you want to see everything they make, go to their website at medinaag.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, it's going to be Beverly and Nancy and James. Beverly is first in line. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Beverly. I think you accidentally hit the uh, off button on your phone. Still got one open line, so dial back in a hurry. Uh, We'll go to Nancy right now. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, okay. Um, I, um, uh, I have three questions for you, Bob. I, okay. I just, just planted, um, 
just planted radishes, arugula, cabbage, and collards, uh, and Swiss chard. Do I need to cover any of those? And where do you live? Uh, Bernie. Yeah, I definitely would put some. Uh, just cover them. Uh, seeds like that, when they first sprout, they haven't, you know, had time to build up their cold hardiness. If you planted them three weeks ago, I would say don't worry. But the fact that they're newly sprouted, I think you would be well advised because uh, last I saw, they're predicting about 30 degrees for Bernie, which means we could certainly get frost. So just a single layer of insulate or something like that over them should be all you need. Yeah, I have that. And uh, uh, the other question, um, you mentioned some kind of wire that you could put around the trunk of your tree to keep the squirrels from climbing up. Uh, what kind of wire was that? What I probably talked about, um, well, there are a couple of different things, but I think I was talking more about keeping deer away from the tree. Uh, this was a fellow that called me last week and, and had the deer actually eating on the tree. And uh, I was advising him to use uh, a real heavy material uh, they call cattle panels is what they're, or hog wires, something like that. The only way that I know of that you'd stop squirrels with anything other than a squirrel guard, um, they... You know, electric fence. They, it's it's much different than it used to be. It's not it's not a wire anymore. In many cases, it's actually like a polypropylene rope that has little uh, copper wires woven into it. And of course, you have to have a, a charger and things like that. But uh, I, again, I've known of people when they had things like raccoons and ringtails climbing up uh, their birdhouse poles and things like that to get at the babies that uh, have just you know hooked it up with some insulators and run a little bit of uh, electric fence wire which like i say it's it's more like string than it is wire anymore and that would stop them but uh it's hard to keep squirrels out of a tree okay i thought you had mentioned something um but it may have been i have the the uh, cattle uh, cattle panels for the for the yeah. deer yeah, no, I, I think that that's what I was talking with the gentleman about. If if we can figure out a way, I will tell you a a neighbor friend, uh, and you know we we exchange gifts at Christmas time, and uh, um, gave me a squirrel trap called the Squirrelinator that I absolutely love. That thing is amazing. You can catch six squirrels at a time with it. But uh, if you want to take your squirrel somewhere else to live. Uh, squirrelinator, I would sure recommend to you, but it's not something you can use to keep them out of the tree. It's it's something you would use simply to capture multiple squirrels at a time and take them to a new home. Yes, I'd have to do that, and I don't think I could do that. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, the other question was about my Meyer lemon. It has an abundance of um, Meyer lemons on it, and but mm -hmm. they're not quite yellow yet uh -huh. i just pull it underneath the porch or do, am i going to have to wrap it up do you think um i doubt that you really have to do either i would be watching the uh uh the weather and if they're just produce you know predicting middle 30s or something probably not gonna have to worry about anything uh, i would probably put just a single layer of insulate or something over it just to keep the frost off 
but uh, we're not to the point you're going to have to drag it inside the greenhouse or the or the garage yet. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to get prepared here. Amen. <laughs> okay, Bob. Thank you. I appreciate your help. Well, you're certainly welcome. I appreciate the call this morning. Uh, Don, did we get Beverly back? All right, then uh, tell you what, hang on just a second, James. Let me get this commercial break out of the way, and then you will be up next. Looks like I get to talk, uh, oh, once again about the good folks that make the Nature's Creation products. And they want me to tell you about their new general fertilizer they call premium lawn and garden fertilizer great stuff it's manure free it's actually alfalfa based which means it has a very pleasant aroma to it i think they put 11 different strains of mycorrhizal fungi in there and it's great fertilizer for grass lawn garden shrubs trees just about everything out there and uh it's it's been around for a while it's not a new product but nature's creation has been doing organic things for quite some time uh they call it the premium lawn and garden fertilizer and like i say it's uh it's good on just about anything it's good as a great winterizer 100 percent organic and manure free so lots of good things to tell you about it i should also tell you about all the different places you're going to find it oh gosh you're going to find it at uh Oh, places like, uh, hold on just a second here. I <laughs> need to find exactly what I've got. You're going to find it at places um, in the hill country, like hill country African violets. You're going to find uh, just top quality products at the Rainbow Gardens. You're going to find it at the plant house up in Kerrville. You're going to find it all the way down in Victoria at uh, Earthworks down there. It's called Premium Lawn and Garden Fertilizer. You're going to find it just about everywhere that fine products like that are sold, including Fanex, including the plant house. Again, I could go on and on. Basically, uh, King, King Feed up in uh, Canyon Lake, if it's a company that carries good quality organic products, they're probably going to carry good things from nature's creation. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. When I was talking about the premium Milan garden fertilizer that Nature's Creation make, I was trying to trying to give you each somewhere you can go in almost any direction. I forgot to mention that if you're headed over toward Castroville, you'll find the Landscape Solutions and Nursery. They carry it over there. So lots of places you're going to find those quality products. Uh, right now, let's see. I believe Beverly got... Uh, Got back through after a phone cut out on her, so I'm going to make her first, and then we'll go to James. Good morning, Beverly. Good morning. I'm not touching any button. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Have that have had that experience myself. Oh man. Well, anyway, I'm glad I'm able to talk to you now. Um, yes, I have heard you talk about uh, stabilizing decayed granite. Mm-hmm. like in your, your parking lot. Right. And uh, I always get interrupted, no buttons, but I get interrupted. And um, I was wondering if you could go through that again. Okay. Uh, yeah, the yeah, <laughs> Oh, well, and, and if you are looking, if you have a serious erosion problem or if you really need to, um, you know, get it where it's not going to wash, where it's really going to stay in place, then we do what's called cement stabilizing. 
Now, cement is different from concrete. Cement is, and a lot of people use them interchangeably, but they're totally different. Cement is the binding agent. You mix it with sand and gravel to create concrete. But uh, you mix just a very small amount of it, like one, and I'm usually doing this in a wheelbarrow. As a matter of fact, I've got to do some patching on the road up to my house <laughs> in the next week or so. But uh, I'll use like, you know, maybe eight scoops of decayed granite and one scoop of uh, Portland cement cement and just kind of mix them up in the wheelbarrow and then dump them out it still looks just like decayed granite but it sets up rock hard and uh, oh. uh that's what we call cement stabilizing now the, the bad thing about cement and i wish they would put it in homeowner size packages and it's not it's very inexpensive a bag of it only costs about five or six dollars but it weighs 90 pounds so uh it's it's oh. let's just say it's it's a bit of a bear to lift and move around but uh that is called cement stabilizing and that's what really works if you're using it uh you know in a in a in an area where it's going to get driven on or something mm-hmm. if it is simply a matter of a place that you walk on where you want to yeah. use it for a path or something like that there is a it's it's like a i guess you'd call it like an almost a plastic material it's a binding agent that's a liquid uh that you spray on or pour on it doesn't really change the appearance of it and it remains soft but it really does hold it in place uh, i've bought it it used to be called stone and soil depot now they've changed the name to site one but i imagine that those people would still have it but uh you simply want to um they have tried using something called uh soil tack i don't know and, that one yeah okay well it doesn't seem to work <laughs> and and is it something they walk on or is it something they drive on what what or is something the dogs run on uh, it's, it's for oh yes uh-huh. a walkway okay and, uh, yeah well nothing at all wrong with using the cement to stabilize it will make a much harder surface and uh if they decide they want to chop it out you know it, it certainly won't be impossible to do but you're 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 really anchoring it in place when you use the cement the uh um the the polymers are just a little softer and a little bit easier to use but if they've tried that route and it's not working well uh they might ask again i I, that's just not the one i know it's not the one i've used but i don't have the bottle here in front of me so um again i i think she is still out at the i-10 location uh and like i say the name is just changed to site s-i-t-e site one uh, call out there and ask for Courtney. If Courtney and I, so far as I know, she still works with them, and she's a very knowledgeable lady, and she could probably point them in the right direction and uh, and tell them which one it is that I have purchased from her before. Because uh, and I've used it like around uh, where I put decayed granite between rocks in my vegetable garden and things like that. But if yeah. it's a real heavy traffic area, the cement stabilizing is going to really anchor it in place. Uh, uh, there's not going to be any question whether that's going to work or not. Well, this is going to be like veins around flagstone. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I guess well, the polymer. Yeah, it it's just you. If you want to use the cement, you want to be sure that you sweep it, sweep all this up really well before it gets wet because uh, cement's not real pretty and, and it is a binding agent, it's finer than dust. And um, it just, I, I would be very careful 
using it around flagstone and like I say, just just for the just because it could discolor a bit, but if they sweep it really, really thoroughly before it's moistened, uh, then that would probably work just as well. But I'm surprised, and I think the binding agent, uh, a good binding agent, will definitely work around flagstone. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And I've got a question uh, about Pavonia rock rose. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, yes. Now, what kind of water do they, not water, but... Uh, how often should they be watered? But they should be watered thoroughly when the soils dry about an inch deep. They're fairly okay. deep-rooted plants. They're pretty drought-tolerant, but uh, you would water rock rose just like you would uh, lantana or salvia or any of your other okay. perennials like that. All right. Very good. And I, um, you know, have um, done the green and grow and, and uh, compost on my lawn. Mm-hmm. And yep. now I've got a lot of mushrooms coming Don't up worry about everywhere. It. Don't worry that's, about it. Okay. That's totally normal. That's what happens with decaying organic material. If they're coming up in Good. lines, if uh, they're coming up with like lines across the yard, that's where a tree years ago died. And everywhere there's a root yeah. under the ground, you're going to have a row of sto- toadstools coming oh. up. But it's nothing oh. to worry about. If the dogs eat it, it might give them an ups- upset stomach. If you want to get rid of them, you can sprinkle a little sulfur around, or you can simply kick them over and let them dry up in the sun. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. And there was a big old tree there. Mm-hmm. So, perfect. <laughs> okay. You're so full of knowledge. I just have made so many mistakes in my life. I just want to keep you from making the same ones. But starting out at the age of five, starting out at the age of five in my grandfather's greenhouse and having wonderful mentors through most of my life has been a great blessing for me. So I appreciate the call. Glad you got back through. Well, oh, me too. And one more time on the um, what used to be stone and stone. Yeah, it's called site S I T E site one. And Courtney's at the location okay. that's uh, that's out on the way to Bernie. Okay. Near Leon well, Springs. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. certainly welcome. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Let's get started with James. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. Well, good morning, sir. Hey, if we get uh, cut off by the news, uh, we can get Don to hold you over. But what's going on in your world? Um, have you got your onions ordered yet? Onions are going to be in the first week of November. Yeah, they're sending mine on the 13th. Yep. I guess we got in ahead of you. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, I don't think anybody has them in yet. Yeah, you know, everybody gets them from Dixondale. They provide probably the great majority of the onions sold and planted commercially or residentially. But, uh, uh, early November, and if the weather gets really cooler, all you know they they may push us a little bit further back. But uh, getting real close to onion planting time, that's for sure. Okay, I'm getting in line. Um, the etymologists are telling me that the way to handle aphids nowadays is to use a lightweight horticultural oil on the plants. In cool weather, I wouldn't have any problem with that. Uh, in the heat, any kind of oil is much more likely to burn. But as we get into cooler weather, a really light oil is fine. Um, I still find spinosad soap uh, does a real number on them. And, uh, but if you want something 
that appears non-toxic, a lightweight horticultural oil would be good, but it's going to be hard on your beneficials. And James, hang on just a minute because we are getting close to news. I'll get Don to put you on hold. We'll be right back here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, let's get back to gardening, and uh, we do have some open lines, so grab on them if you like at 210-599-5555, and we're going to visit with James a little bit more. James, I'm so glad you called. I had somebody just last week saying, you haven't had Farmer James call lately. Is he okay? And I had to say, well, I did, I don't know, but I hope he is, so uh, you're reassuring a lot of your a lot of your fans out there that you're that you're with us. Well, I'm uh, still kicking. I'm just not kicking as high as I used to. <laughs> know the feeling. Um, the pros are telling me that um, you mentioned that the horticultural oil is not to be used in the heat of the season. Right. Even though some of those products are recommended for year-round. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if if you look real carefully, they're recommended for year-round use if you live in Wisconsin or Wyoming or Michigan or places where it doesn't get up to 107 degrees. But you got to remember, oil's like a magnifying glass, and uh, even a thin layer is going to let the surface underneath it get much hotter. And uh, I just, that's why I don't recommend oil-based insecticides uh, in the heat of the summer. Is I've seen way too much, uh, and they just call it burn. It's not insecticide burn. It's basically sunburn, which is enhanced by, uh, you know, anything oil-based. And uh, even water, you know, droplets of water in a really hot, sunny day, you, they, even that can be enough of a magnifying glass to burn little spots underneath it. So anyway, that's that's the reason. The, the other thing about you know the your oil-based products is they kill by smothering, which of course is a real safe way to do it. Uh, but they will kill beneficial insects pretty quickly too, and uh, um, as will many different things. But uh, that's that's another reason that I'm real careful where I use the oil sprays. If it's you know the middle of the winter and you're trying to kill fruit tree scale things like that, yeah, it's probably the best product out there. But aphids, they're warm weather creatures and uh, they're pretty easy to kill with something else. What they're recommending in the heat is the insecticidal soap. Mm-hmm. And you have to be careful even with that. But uh, no, I'm I'm a big fan of insecticidal soap, and I especially like what they call spinosad soap that combines insecticidal soap with the spinosad product. Yeah, I've got that, and I use it on on a few things. But uh, the aphids seem to eat that for lunch. Ah, uh, well, insecticidal aphids. Yeah. There and of course they reproduce so quickly, but um, aphids we got to watch them. They the first thing they go after are plants that are stressed for one reason or another. And Lord knows we've had a we've had a very stressful summer on things. But 
anytime I see aphids, the first thing I ask myself is what have I had done that's that's uh, stressed the plants a little bit, and usually it's having let them get a little too dry between watering. So aphids, aphids are, I think, an indicator that tells you you need to be paying a little bit more attention to some other things. But uh, um, And, of course, you know, the thing that we do is we release ladybugs or lacewings, and those predators, they're not going to get 100% of them, but they'll sure knock the populations way down, which is still another way to go after aphids. But uh, uh, insecticidal soap, yeah, on all except the sunniest days, I think that's going to work uh, real well for you. The jalapenos are coming into their stride now that it's cooling down a little bit. Uh huh. You're going to get your second harvest because of the summer's been so brutal. Uh, yeah. it's hard to carry those plants through to get the harvest that we're going to be enjoying in a little bit. Then mm-hmm. the aphid sometimes take over no matter how well you care for the plants. And oh, that's yeah. what I've found to be true. Well, and I've been known to get out there just with my thumb and forefinger and just run it up and down the stem and figure that I'm going to, you know, squash two out of three of them. It's going to slow them down a little bit. And, uh, um, yeah, you're right. There are a lot of this. We're we're moving into that sort of second warm season, but we got to get through some pretty chilly nights. Uh, you're probably going to be pretty close to freezing later this week, so uh, we got to have that row cover out over the over the jalapenos and the peppers and tomatoes and eggplant and all sorts of things if they if they keep up with the forecast you're showing us right now. Freezing. Yep. I didn't hear about that. Well, check your forecast. I'm showing 30 degrees in Bernie one night, or 31 one night, and 30 the next night. Um, one of the forecast services is showing 29 degrees, and you're you're a little ways outside of San Antonio, up there toward Marion. So you better check your forecast because uh, uh, I know you're going to be down in uh, frost temperatures and uh, getting pretty close to freezing temperatures. Yeah, it's time to pick those. Pick those jalapenos and let the plants uh, go down then if it's going to get that cold. Well, who knows whether it will or not. The weathermen haven't gotten it right much so far this year, but uh, uh, it seems like if it's bad, they always get it right. If it's good, if they're forecasting rain, it never happens. But if it's bad, it does happen. So uh, I think we just all better be a little better prepared uh, in this coming week and have our, have our row cover handy. That's good advice. Thanks, Bob. It's always a pleasure to hear from you, and like I say, you've you've made a lot of people feel better because you've got quite a following, and uh, everybody calls you Farmer James, and just good to hear your voice. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's always great to talk with you, man. I'm always learning uh, new things when I speak with Bob Webster. Well, and we're learning from you as well, James. So get out and get ready for those onions, and uh, let's visit with Charlie next. Uh, good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. My call. Thanks for calling. Yeah, on I have some the Astro Lawn Liquid uh-huh. fertilizer, and I have the granular uh, your uh, landscape essentials. Right. Um, would the uh, the liquid um, the Astro Lawn be a be, can can that still be applied? You know, in the fall. Or should we oh, wait till the spring when it's more active? You know, the grass is more active. You know, either one of them are going to work fine for you. Here's here's liquid versus granular. The liquid works faster but doesn't last as long. The granular is a little bit slower to kick in, 
but you're not going to have to reapply it as often. Uh, if you're using the liquid, you ought to be putting it out about every 30 days. If you're using the granules, you ought to be putting them out about every three months. So for the person who's, you know, got a backyard wedding planned uh, that's six weeks away, yeah, the Hester Grove lawn is going to green up that yard a whole lot faster than even the good growing green is. But for the person who doesn't have time to fertilize when they should, the granules are a little bit easier because they last a little bit longer. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. And I was just thinking, you know, I know you you, you said, you know, uh, like uh, uh, Saint Augustine doesn't it doesn't go go dormant. It's right. still growing under the under the ground. Yeah. Um, but does that reduce the, how much absorption it has if you applied a liquid? It does. But the nice thing about um, you know, you just give you a real short chemistry lesson here. Most of the products that Medina makes are natural, and the nutrient is in what we call a cation form, which means it has a positive charge to it. And your soil is full of negative charges, so when you put on uh, their type of fertilizer or any other organic fertilizer, it actually binds to the soil. It's not going to wash away. It's going to stay there until the plants are able to use it. Uh, on the other hand, most of your synthetic fertilizers, uh, they their nutrient is in a negative, in what we call an anion form, has a negative charge to it, and it's actually repelled by the soil. So when you're using some of those other products, um, your plants probably get 10% of it, and the other 90% of it washes away. When you're using the good stuff, like has to grow lawn or growing green or for that matter, products like I was just talking about, Nature's Creation products they call Premium Lawn Garden Food. My sugar makes one called Texas Tea. Those are all products that you can literally use any time because even if it's a time of year when the microbes aren't quite as active, when the plants are not going to get the benefit quite as quickly, you're not wasting it because it's being bound to the soil and it will be there when your plants are ready to use it. It's just one of the many reasons that organics are so much better. Okay. All right, thank you. Um, one other quick question. Uh, last week you had mentioned the shallow angle for branches. And yes, tree. uh-huh, yeah. Is that off vertical or off, you know, where it's a V? It, you know, yeah, Any, anywhere it's a V with a major limb or a trunk. Uh, if that angle is less than 45 degrees, and uh, you can visualize this fairly easily, um, and if I were doing it on a blackboard, it'd be real easy. You've got... The fiber in the wood uh, is one plane, and where the where the limb comes up to it, uh, it's you know imagine that as a I guess you could think about taking two pieces of paper and holding them up pretty close together, and there's it's just the wood fibers are parallel to each other, and so they can be split apart fairly easily. When the angle is wider uh, than those the uh, the things that make give the limb, limb strength uh, are actually kind of like if you dr drill the hole into the limb and stuck a dowel in there, uh, they just form a much stronger union than that real narrow angle. And so when you apply pressure, I mean, if I take two limbs that have a very narrow angle, those limbs could be an inch in diameter, and I could probably break them apart. I could probably split that spot. But if I've got two limbs an inch in diameter and one of them's coming out at much more of a horizontal angle, 
I wouldn't mind putting my 160 pounds on top of that. I, it still wouldn't split. So does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, and, and you, you mentioned that. It's more like, you know, even if you're splitting wood for firewood. Exactly. You, it, you, know, you split it the one way because you can break easier as opposed to crossing all the yarn grain. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, if, you, if you've got that piece of wood that's got a uh, – a knot where a limb used to be, you better get yourself a, a pneumatic wood or a hydraulic wood splitter to break that because you're going to hit that thing with your maul or your axe a dozen times and still not going to split. So, no, I uh, and I still split wood by hand, but I'm real careful as to which, which things I'm going to split. And uh, that's exactly right. You, you've got a, you've got a log that's got a, you know, a knot where you had a limb coming out of there. You're, you're going to have a whole lot more trouble splitting that one for sure. Okay, well, that takes care of my question, so thank you very much again. I appreciate it. Well, great question, Charlie. I appreciate the call. You get out and have a wonderful weekend, and uh, be prepared for a little bit cold later in the week. I'm I'm opening my windows now. Well, I'm splitting some firewood for the fireplace, so (laughs) lots of good things to do. You get out and have a great weekend, and I do. I thank you, sir. All right, need to get a break in here, and uh, do have several open lines. Grab one of them if you like, 210-599-5555. Looks like I get to talk to you about Fanix Nursery and Garden Center. And, uh, well, keeping up with the seasons and the weather, Fanix wanted me to remind you of several things. Number one, they have both temporary and permanent greenhouses, lots of different styles and sizes and things like that and they've got some good uh, kind of demonstration models here at the nursery they'd love for you to take a look at they also offer uh, plastic for closing things in by the foot as much or as little as you need they even have the insulate fabric uh, you know by the foot if you want to buy it that way uh, as well as the squares. Phoenix has gotten recently quite a shipment of fruit trees in. They're really getting stocked up early because so many of their trees these days are containerized rather than being bare root, plus you get about a year ahead. Also, they want me to remind you that the Water Saver rebate coupons, well, they expire the end of this month, just about three days from now, so you better get over and redeem those coupons for the applicable plants, which Phoenix has a good supply of. I could go on and on talking about all all the different things that Phoenix has, but after 90 years sitting in the same spot over there, you know they've got things that do well, and you know that they've got the experience to help you with your gardening projects. Lots of good organics, lots of great plants, and if you want to check out everything that's going on, go to their website. It's Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Looks like it's going to be Ron and Edward and Connie. Ron is up first. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I'm having trouble picking up your radio signal this morning for some reason. Don't know why, but I'm getting everybody else but you guys. Anyway, got a question. Uh, I have a pump sprayer. It's a, a gallon uh, mm-hmm. I use it for spraying, like on seedlings and things like that. And uh-huh. I've been a bit, bit negligent, and it's got kind of a greeny color in the bottom of it. Could I mix a hydrogen peroxide and water? Would that remedy that problem? Do you think? I just use straight hydrogen peroxide. Just straight. I'd, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. You you want to dilute it? Uh, 
you know, before you go back to spraying, but hydrogen peroxide pretty rapidly turns from H2O2 to H2O, which is just plain water. But, uh, no, peroxide's a real good algae, and that's what you've got is real good algae killer, and uh, it won't harm things in any way, form, or fashion. Once it's diluted, we even spray it on plants. So, yeah, that's a great way to do it. While you're while you're cleaning that sprayer, uh, take the time to put a little drop of oil up there, you know, next to the little piston that goes up and down because you've got a seal in there. Then your sprayer will last you a whole lot longer. Uh, and it can be any kind of oil or even mineral oil. Put that on there to keep that seal soft, uh, and you'll add years to the life of that sprayer. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Bob. And I'll tell you one more thing. If you ever need a new sprayer, there is a brand out there that's just recently become available to us. Actually, comes out of Poland called Quasar, K-W-A-S-A-R. I believe that's how it's spelled. I'm looking at one sitting on my desk right now. But that is the best sprayer I've come across in years. So hopefully yours is in good shape, but when it wears out, look for Quasar to replace it, and it'll be probably lifetime quality. How how large a capacity is that quasar? Any anything from a quart up to several gallons. Oh wow! Yeah, that's big. yeah they have uh, they have a little handheld pump up sprayers, very similar to ones we got out of Germany years ago. And uh, my business partner still has one of those she bought twenty five years ago, and it still works perfectly. And uh, uh, it's just really well made. And it's interesting. They have a flexible uptake tube, and they've got a weight on the bottom of it. So even if you turn that sprayer totally upside down, uh, the uptake tube is down in the liquid, and you can spray at any angle with it. It's just they're, they're the best sprayers that I've probably found in 20 years or more. And uh, um, so anyway, it's just it's a great brand, or if you're looking for a great Christmas present, uh uh, they even they make a simple little trigger sprayer, and then they make this kind of small handheld pump up, and then they make your standard uh, one gallon, two gallon, three gallon uh, sprayer that you can use like you're talking about yours. But uh, uh, again, uh, just be sure you keep lubricating that little uh, uh, seal up at the top, and it'll last a long time for you. Uh, the Quasar actually sends you a little tiny tube of the oil to go along with it to remind you. Okay. Uh, what's your weather like down there in San Antonio this morning? It's absolutely beautiful. We've had most areas have had at least some rain. It's about seventy degrees out, seventy degrees out there. Supposed to change come Sunday night, and I'm now realizing who I'm talking to. I'm, I'm talking to you in Missouri, I guess, this morning, and uh, you guys probably already seeing the cold. Well, it's fifty here this morning, and they said by Tuesday, I believe, evening. We could be in frost territory, anywhere from the low 30s to the high 20s. So, uh, yeah, fall is definitely here. So, well, that's a little bit better than friends up in Colorado and Wyoming that are looking potentially at zero degrees later this week. So yeah. frost is not too bad. But, yeah, we're forecast for the hill country. I'm seeing temperatures as low as 29 or 30. Won't be quite as uh Quite as cold as you guys will be, but it's it's about time fall got here. Uh, deer season opens next week, and I know there are a lot of hunters glad to see it a little cooler, too. <laughs> well, appreciate the information, Bob. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let me see here. Yeah, we've got time to take another call before we take do a break, and that would be Edward. Good morning, Edward. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. 
Yes, uh, you were advertising that there it's uh, getting close to planting time for uh, trees. Isn't it too early to put them in the ground? No. No, October and November are probably the two best months of the year for planting trees and woody shrubs of almost any sort. Uh, the, they aren't going to do much more growing above ground, but the roots stay active all winter long. This is a time when, uh, you know, stress uh, is much, much lower on the trees. You couldn't pick a better time to plant trees. Okay, also, I, I, I'm working with clay soil. Um, how big a hole, or let's say I got a gallon pot of a tree, how big a hole and how deep or how should I prepare the hole for the planting? You should dig a square hole or an angular hole. You should dig the hole no deeper uh, than the root ball of, or well, you should dig it shallow enough so that when you put your tree or one gallon plant down in that hole, the root flare is at or slightly above ground level. But you don't dig a great big hole just because your soil's poor because the tree's going to have to put its roots out into that soil eventually. And if you go and backfill with a really good soil mix and the tree doesn't want to do anything except fill that hole up with roots and will be a long time to get established. When you backfill with simply the same soil you took out of the hole, even if it is pretty clay-like, uh, then the tree is going to be encouraged to get a much more widespread root system much more quickly so uh, uh, you don't have to dig a big hole but do dig an angular hole so the roots will take off into the surrounding soil all right thank you sir have a good day you do the same sir appreciate the call and i do thank you let's get a break out of the way here and then we will get back to phone calls I get to talk about Rhonda's Nature's Way. I was at Rhonda's just yesterday, as a matter of fact, and always fun to go by Rhonda's Nature's Way because you're always going to find something good. If you're looking for the best in supplements and vitamins and things like that, what she offers is so much better than anything you're going to find in the grocery store or a chain pharmacy. And she's got the knowledge to help you pick out what's best for you. Trying to support your immune system like I do? Well, she can tell you exactly the things that will do that. If you're having problems with muscle cramps or things like that, she can tell you what you need. If you've got issues with digestion or sleep or pain, there are natural remedies to these. Matter of fact, she told me one of our employees had been just in the day before. Uh, this is a gentleman that has dealt with a lot of chronic pain. And uh, Rhonda got him started on something called curcumin uh, and a product called Curamed. And he said it's virtually eliminated his pain issues. There just are natural solutions to just about anything. And if you're just trying to stay healthy... Let me tell you, do as I do. Take some of the supplements to support your immune system. She also has things that will help you with dieting. If you're out to shed a few pounds, she has great electrolyte solutions uh, like the Ultima in about eight different flavors. That's what I drink in the hot summer months uh, so I don't get dehydrated. I can tell you I just go on and on about Rhonda's Nature's Way and all the fine things she has. She also is doing a lot of reflexology now, and that's an amazing experience. Uh, lots of red light and beamer light therapies there at the store. If you want to meet somebody that will help you live better naturally, will help you keep your good health, well, you just need to know Rogers Nature's Way. Close on Sundays uh, and major holidays. Otherwise, they're open to see you every day. Shopping center at the, at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of across the parking lot from Sprouts. That's where you'll find Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. 
All right, let's get back to gardening. Let me tell you just a couple of dates to put on the calendar, and then we'll talk to Connie and James and Joyce. But uh, next weekend, next Saturday, a couple of great things happening. Nature Fest brought to you by Green Spaces Alliance down at uh, Mission County Park. Uh, that is next Saturday from, I believe, 9 till 1. Always a wonderful event down there. Uh, Google Green Space Alliance, Green Spaces Alliance, and you can find out all the information about that and all the other great things they do. Next Saturday is also when the Candelia Volunteer Fire Department has their Mexican food supper. I'm a big fan, a big supporter of volunteer fire departments. And next weekend, uh, Saturday night, uh, is going to be a lot of fun. The food is excellent. They've got good raffles, some really interesting firearms in there this year as well, and silent auction and regular auction. Anyway, it's just a, it's a great, great time up at the Candelia Volunteer Fire Department out there. And, uh, um, then the following weekend, two fun events I want to tell you about. One of them is the hangar dance that the Commemorative Air Force puts on uh, every every year. Uh, gosh, great, great dinner from Black's Barbecue this time and good music and things like that. If you would enjoy dinner among vintage World War II aircraft, and they've got a lot of fun things up there. It used to be called Confederate Air Force, and then they changed their name. But anyway, that, that takes place, Hangar Dance takes place next week. And again, you can just Google Hangar Dance for all the details. And the, that is the, let's say, I believe that's the 11th. That's not this weekend, but the following weekend. And that's going to be when the, uh, uh, understand, I haven't heard directly from them, but I understand the Sisterdale Volunteer Fire Department is having their big barbecue and shrimp fest up there. So lots of fun things going on. I'll give you more information on that as time permits. Right now, though, let's get back to the phone lines, and Connie is first in line. Good morning, Connie. Oh, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, can you? Good morning. I was going to ask you about an uh, Esperanza plant that I bought in a quart container like a uh-huh. month and a half ago. Okay. And uh, it was doing great. I was watering it uh, daily because of the heat, and I left it in the same container. And then when I planted it on the ground, I put that uh, organic plantone uh, fertilizer. I mean, I planted it on the ground because it was drooping. I forgot to water it for like two days. Uh-huh. So I said, well, I put it on the ground. And I put that um, plantone all-purpose plant food. Okay. And then I covered it, and... Uh, and then I water it, and like uh, in between three days later, it was it was falling. The the leaves were falling. Everything was falling down. Sure. So then I I put that uh, soil activator, Medina mm-hmm. soil activator, yeah. and it went up really nice. Uh-huh. And then I kept watering it, and now it lost all its leaves. <laughs> well, what happens when things dry out like that is uh, they're probably going to drop leaves. The leaves will yellow and drop. The good news is they will come back out again. Your plant went through temporary shock and now it's going to get over it and it's going to go on being, you know, a good healthy plant. The bad news is that we're going to have some really cold weather later this week and Esperanza is not cold hardy. So, uh, is it still in the pot, or did you plant it in the ground? No, I planted it on the ground with fertilizer. Okay, then just plan to cover it, get some insulate, or uh, don't use plastic, uh, but uh, any of the so-called floating row covers. Uh, if it if the weathermen are right, uh, we're going to be pretty chilly starting uh, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, so you're going to need to cover your Esperanza 
Um, don't get carried away with watering. Water it really thoroughly when it's dry about an inch deep. But uh, it should come back out. It's uh, And like I say, it's just we're getting into cold weather, and that's going to be your big concern now. So um, uh, just be sure you protect it through the cold nights. Should I clip the, the top portion that's dying out? Or just should leave you it alone? Do, um, it's, you, you know, you'll need to, as long as it's in the ground, as long as you water and fertilize, it should be fine. If you want to put it back in the container uh, for a little while until it starts putting on new leaves, that would be fine, too. The choice is sort of up to you. Uh, it's getting it's getting a little late to plant Esperanza, and I'm telling people that do plant it to be sure and mulch it heavily and probably cover it uh, later this week if the temperatures do if it's if the forecast stays what it is now, you probably need to cover your esperanza before the week's over. Okay, and I have another question. This is on the. I, my neighbor has a beautiful bougainvillea, but uh-huh. it's like uh, the flowers are so heavy, like mm-hmm. uh, six six inches, and they just droop down. It's a mm-hmm. lavender plant, and I don't know what they're called because I have some, and they just bloom a little bit on the on the tips so i wanted to know if you knew the name of that bougainvillea um it there's so many different ones out there is it solid lavender or does it have some of the white in the flowers i think it uh i think it's i did not see no white okay i'm um, sure yeah yeah there i there's so many different ones there's one called vicky that is sort of lavender, but it usually has some white in it as well. Um, Solid lavender, there's an old one called Convent, C-O-N-V-E-N-T, is probably the standard lavender that's out there. Um, It's an older variety, and it's it's sensitive to day length. Uh, It only blooms when the days get short in the spring and the fall. Um, If you're going to buy a bougainvillea, uh, nowadays, you can buy what we call day-neutral bougainvilleas that don't pay any attention to day length and consequently bloom a whole lot more. So that's not a variety I'd tell you to buy. If you already have it, keep it in. I, I think he's blooming the uh, spring and fall. Yeah, that's probably a variety called, yeah, probably one called Convent if you want to look it up. But there, there are better varieties that bloom in the summer as well. If you get any more, I think you probably want to look for Juanita Hatton or, oh golly, there are a bunch of different ones out there. That's an old one. Uh, it just doesn't bloom as much of the year as some of the newer varieties do. And the Juanita Hatton, does it have long blooms like that one or just in the tips? Oh, no, it'll bloom all the way up and down the stems. Um, But now, most of the bougainvilleas that you get are going to be kind of bushy. And when we get the, you know, heavy rains, they are going to tend to lean over a lot. There is a different bougainvillea, which is called Torch, T-O-R-C-H, that is much more upright, has lots of flowers that are concentrated very close together, and it's a neat plant that doesn't droop at all. It's one that just shoots its stems straight up and then has flowers all up and down the stem. So that's another variety. I wouldn't certainly wouldn't plant them this late in the year if you're putting them in the landscape. But uh, it's a fun one to look for next spring. And they're simply called torch bougainvillea. They're a rich, oh, reddish pink color, but they're a totally different shape than the bougainvilleas that you're describing. Yes. 
Okay, Bob. Thank you so much. Okay, you have a great day. You do the same, Connie. Thank you for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, James is next in line. Good morning, James. Hey, good morning, Bob. How's morning? How you doing today? Off to a good start. Looks like it should be a pretty day out there. Maybe get some more rain and then get ready for the cold later in the week. But right now, let's focus on a beautiful day and a good day to get out in the yard. Absolutely. It's a beautiful day, especially when you're going to get some moisture. I've got some questions about uh, blue bonnets. I've got uh, some blue bonnet seeds. Uh-huh. And I was wondering, is it, is it past time to plant those, or how is it be the best time or best way to, to get those started? Well, you need to get them planted immediately. Um, is it fresh seed? Um, is If it's fresh seed, you really don't need to do anything except uh, scatter them out. Um, if it's older seed, I would soak it oh, at least for an hour or two in a dilute solution of garret juice, and I would probably add a little extra seaweed to it because blue bonnets have to go through two stages before they bloom. The first stage is what we call a rosette. It makes a bunch of little low leaves real close to the ground, and then when it starts warming up in the spring, it produces its upright growth, which is what's going to grow up and bloom. So you want that seed to germinate and get started with the rosette growth pretty quickly. Uh, and like I say, real fresh seed, probably going to gonna sprout pretty quickly. If uh, the seed's been around for a year or so, a good soak in uh, garret juice and liquid seaweed will get it germinating more quickly. Okay, I've heard that they have a really hard seed casing, and sometimes you have to maybe get some fine sandpaper and scratch them first. You can, you can, yeah, and what they do professionally is they'll throw it like in a gym tumbler and put a little carborundum or something in there. That's called scarifying. And uh, there are two ways to scarify. One is mechanical scarifying, which is what you're talking about. The other way is to use something that will soften that seed coat. And um, that's the, the garret juice has some apple cider vinegar in there. And so that sort of takes the place of the physical scarifying. And uh, it'll get them germinating a little bit more quickly and without nearly as much work. Okay, could, could I soak them? I have some, uh, some growing green. Did I just soak them in that instead? or I know the, the garret juice, and you can make your own. Go to dirtdoctor.com. Howard uh, gives away his formula on that website. But uh, uh, I think the apple cider vinegar is the most important thing in there because, uh, you know, and don't get me wrong, the fertilizer is great, but, uh, and it's a good nutrient source. But what we're looking for is something to soften that hard seed coat. And I think the garret juice, and, and you can buy it already mixed, like I say, or you can mix your own. Just go to dirtdoctor.com to get the formula of how to do it. And on a really hard seed, whether it's mountain laurel or whether it's blue bonnets, uh, it'll sure get you a higher percentage of germination. Okay, sounds good. And I'd like to have a, a shout-out to the Castle Lake Ranch Volunteer Fire Department has their, their annual turkey shoot next Saturday. Next Saturday, very good. Well, they're in the they're in the afternoon, and uh, and uh, Berg and uh, Kendalia will be in the evening, so people can double up and support two great organizations uh, on the same day. Absolutely, Castle Lake. I believe they'll start about nine a.m. So uh, okay. they're usually done by by three. All right, I'm writing as fast as I can. Uh, Castle Lake VFD, and starting about nine o'clock. And uh, where's the firehouse? Where's their firehouse? It's you, you come up 
16 north of yeah. Pipe Creek. It's north right. of Pipe Creek, about three miles. You take a ride on Bear Creek Road. Okay, so it's before you get to Bandera, take a right. Okay, very good. Well, I appreciate you letting us know about that, and that's coming up on the on the fourth, be next Saturday. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. So, and I'm still waiting on your book. <laughs> Me too. I'm still waiting on time to get half the things I need to get done done around my ranch. But uh, hope springs eternal, James. At least we got some rain that's going to help everybody else out. You probably over in that part of the world, you probably got a pretty good rain the past couple of days too. I I was very blessed with a little over an inch and a half of rain, which is best I've had in a long time. So hope you were as well. Absolutely, we're we got close to two inches, so we're we're blessed. Ah, uh, uh, phenomenal. Phenomenal, and, all you do. and we'll worry a little bit less about wildfire while we're talking about volunteer fire departments. Uh, it's good for many different things. So you guys keep up the good work as well, and I'll look forward to our next visit. Thank you so much. God My pleasure. Have a good one. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right, Joyce, hold on just a second. I don't want to rush you, which means we need to get a break in here. Don, I don't have a live at this point, so run that recorded stuff, and we'll get back and talk to some more callers. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, starting to get daylight out there. You know, that's the other thing, uh, good and bad, is going to happen next weekend, in addition to some very good activities, but uh, it's when they take away our evening daylight. I think next uh, a week from tomorrow is going to be when we... Uh, when we turn those clocks back, the good news is you get to sleep an extra hour. The bad news is, at least for me, uh, you're going to have an hour less in the evening to get things done. But uh, that's next weekend. But uh, anyway, lots of fun things uh, going on to talk about. Next two callers are going to be Joyce and Kitty. And Joyce is first in line. Good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Mom. Well, morning, that's Mom. a Joyce I love to hear from. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. I always think I've made my last call, like last week, that I don't have anything else to ask, and then things crop up. And one <laughs> Welcome was, to life. <laughs> I just keep forgetting to ask you, but you said, and this is for next year, I know, but you talked about a little crookneck yellow squash that you had planted that was ready to produce in less than a month. Do you remember which one that was? It was just a standard yellow crookneck. And it was, um, it, it was, I think, the time of the year and just also the technique that I use, given the seeds a little soaking garret juice. And uh, when it's, the, the, the whole point was that the crooknecks just simply grow and mature a lot more quickly. I don't think it was really a special variety. Now, there are some new bush varieties on, uh, on, on several squashes, including a, a crookneck that, uh, uh, seem to produce a little bit more quickly than the vining types do but uh, i i think it was as much the time of year as it was the variety okay that's fine and the other question was going to be is it a bush variety but it's not yeah. but anyway that's okay I, I don't plant squash i'm a big zucchini fan i like zucchini <laughs> better than yellow but anything that would produce that quickly i was going to give a try well yeah, but it, it, it there are bush varieties of both now uh, and they just take up so much less room that they are, they're really ideal. So, uh, yeah, if you, and I know you're limited on space, but, uh, there, there, there are some bush zucchinis now. 
and I was, gosh, I'm going to have to go back and look at the seed packet. Um, but I think there's one they call baby bush or something like that on the zucchini that uh, just produces a lot of squash and uh, right just right down toward the center of the plant so it doesn't take up a whole lot of room. And even people with small gardens uh, can certainly grow those. And uh, if you like zucchini, they are, they're a real good choice. Okay. Thank you, Bob. The other question was, I dumped a bag of basmatic uh, rice on the floor and got it, was sweeping it up to throw in the trash, and it dawned on me I was going to throw it out for the birds, but it occurred to me, I don't think I've ever seen rice listed with bird seed. Is there some reason that a bird that birds don't eat rice or would be bad for them? Hey, you know, and that's a good question. I was at Wild Birds Unlimited yesterday, and I should have asked them. I don't know that it would be bad for them but um you know most of the rice we get is polished rice which is very very hard and if i were going to throw it out for any kind of animals i think i would probably either cook it or soak it before you throw it out i i don't know that it would hurt them but i've never seen anybody just feed you know feed straight brown or white rice to the birds but uh the polishing that they do on it makes it very very hard probably would make it much harder for the birds to digest so you might want to just soak that overnight before you throw it out and then i'm sure it wouldn't hurt anything yeah i can do that it just don't I mean i've never seen it on bird seed piles and i thought well it's a seed it's an organic rice i don't know whether that uh-huh. means anything in the polishing or not but i can certainly soak it and that was just an and that's, and that's a really good question and uh something that i've never really considered i know that i know that where you see pictures of rice patties and things like that uh there are lots of ducks and things in there with it but i think they're eating more the aquatic insects and things than they are the rice itself but uh <laughs> i'm going to make a note down here i've got several things to uh ask howard garrett this morning in just a few minutes here as a matter of fact but i'll ask him if he's ever uh, had any experience with rice for feeding birds that's a good question something else to think about last quickie and that's the real question is about amaryllis and i know it's time to put them into their drying dormant period and i have a couple of pots of two-year-old seeds that i've grown into bulbs that are Uh about ping pong ball size now i have not let them go into that period i've kept them just as plants going you know kind of and I think I think that's a good plan. And at this point, I would rather have them grow larger than even think about trying to bloom. So, and they're probably not mature enough to bloom. I'd keep those as an evergreen. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't let them dry out, Joyce. I'd probably just go right on watering and fertilizing and tell them to grow as quickly as they can possibly grow. Well, that's what I thought too. But I thought, well, where they grow naturally, they obviously mm-hmm. go through this period from the time they sprout. So and I don't know whether. Good idea or bad idea. That's that's very true that naturally they would do that, but naturally they'd probably take six or eight years to get big enough to bloom, and if we could cut that time in half, that would be a very good thing. Okie doke. Well, give Max a couple of hugs because I'm sure he's a lonely little fellow. Anyway, well, he's, he's, he sure is affectionate, and uh, he, he wakes me up at night purring, so I know he's a happy kitty cat. So uh, I'll give Max an extra pet and tell him it came from you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Goodbye, Joyce. I guess that's a pretty good lead-in. Maxwell's my cat at home, and my next caller is named Kitty. So good morning, Kitty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. 
Hey, listen, a couple of questions. I have a 70-year-old uh, live oak tree, and I've got probably, I can touch my rooftop where that death has been following on, and I want, it's all in shade, so I want to do something with it. Can I, is that, are those tannic leaves, is the tannic from the leaves needing to be picked up and removed, or can I plant things in it? Uh, because the depth is, like I say, probably two feet deep on the east side, and it is in shade, so I'd like to do something with it. Okay, and so now tell me once again exactly what is on the ground there. 70 years of oak leaves. Yeah, that's that again. That's how Mother Nature builds soil. Uh, but if right. you start, yeah, if you started from the top and work down on the surface, you've got leaves that still look like leaves. If you get down a you know a, a few inches or a few years, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, they're starting to decompose and break down. And if you get all the way down underneath that, then you have uh, leaves that are so far decomposed that they look more like soil than they do like leaves. And that will be some of the richest, best soil you can find. So what you're going to have to do to plant in that area is rake back the material that's on top. It'll be good as a mulch. In fact, you can push it back as a mulch uh, around whatever you choose to plant in that area. But uh, I certainly wouldn't plant them in the surface layer. I would I would just rake those leaves back until you're down into the part that looks more like brown, loamy soil. And then, of course, choose your plants that will tolerate the shade, whether it's holly fern, whether it's flowers like cyclamen, whether it's... Uh, you know, perennials like some of the salvias that will grow in the shade, but that should that should be the best soil you've ever planted in. I figured it would be. Uh, somebody asked if I wanted to remove it, and I said, oh, no, no, I don't want you to remove that. Uh, <laughs> they probably just want you to give it to them. But, no, that that's the perfect place to plant. But do rake it back, and if this is a really you know, deep area, you may have to remove several inches of leaves that aren't quite far enough broken down. But when you get down to the part that's been there a while, that's that's just going to be perfect, perfect garden soil. I also have my Myers lemon. I've been babying it for two years now. It's got a still bunch of fruit on it. It's half yellow. Is it okay to pick it now? Or, you know, I always heard November, December is when you pick Myers lemon in Arizona, but what about Texas? The the longer you're able to leave them on the tree, the sweeter they will be because the more sugar that uh, okay. will be in the lemons. The longer you leave them on the tree, the more attractive they're going to be to squirrels and birds. <laughs> so yep. it's it's kind of a, a fine line, and a lot of people, when the lemons get to the stage that you're talking about, they'll drape some uh, bird netting over the tree or something because uh, uh, those blasted little varmints will come in and peck on them, and in the case of the squirrels, haul them off, even if it takes two of them to do it. So uh, you can pick them at any time, but the longer you're able to leave them on the tree, the sweeter they're going to become. And um, I've got a brand-new um, mountain laurel I haven't planted yet, and I took a spill doing my uh, sick tree treatment on Zakan last two weeks ago, so I'm a little sore. But uh, can I bring that I inside no need to no need to put it outside and plant it as soon as you're able to and let's talk a little bit more about that another time because i've got to go to news here on ktsa radio san antonio south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air talk to bob now 210-599-5555 
Oh, but don't dial right this minute. We'll save about the last 30 minutes to the show. And then, of course, we have three hours tomorrow for gardening questions. But this is the time of show that we uh, get to visit with Mr. Howard Garrett, widely known as the Dirt Doctor, syndicated all across this great country of ours, and just a heck of a good guy. Good morning, Howard Garrett. How are you today? Well, I'm wet. We're still having rain uh, right now as we speak, and we got a whole lot uh, the last couple of days. Well, I'm jealous. We got some, uh, and some people were blessed with a lot of it, but uh, it just continues down here. We tend to get lots of light rain, and then occasional embedded showers are a little bit heavier, and uh, some of us got, you know, rains of a couple of inches. Other folks uh, got... Oh, rains of somewhere around a half inch, but every drop is really welcome, and uh, uh, at least it cools the temperature down a little bit, cools the leaf temperature, and we've gotten enough that we are starting to see some of the winter grasses start to come up, so uh, it's there's still no water in the river. You know, the Guadalupe River is basically a big dry yeah. ditch now, but uh, so we can sure use some more, but yeah, it looked like a lot of that moisture coming up out of Mexico was... Uh, going north of us but headed right for the metroplex so uh, i know you guys welcome it as well yeah i think it's supposed to end around noon but then we're we still have some more in the forecast along with that uh cold weather that i heard you talking about y'all might get down to even frost level huh well and i just this uh on that news break i was looking and there for bernie they're still showing at least one night, uh, I think Wednesday morning, actually, uh, getting down to 32. A couple of days ago, they were showing 29. I don't think we'll get uh, freezing here in San Antonio, but uh, certainly potential for frost. Anytime you're down in the 30s, frost can happen. So trying to remind everybody to get the get the road covers ready. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been uh, enjoying some uh Texas uh, sports enjoyed watching the uh, Rangers play uh, and the uh, welcoming of your tiny little seven foot five guy down there. Well, no, that's not <laughs> San Antonio. That's uh, I guess is that San Antonio or is that Houston? I think I that's. I believe it's Houston, but uh, I tell you, since since uh, our coach moved no, it's to not. a. It, 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 it is San Antonio, y'all. Oh, okay, guys, well, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, well, seven foot five. He's real good too. He's not. <laughs> he's not just a tall guy. He can handle the ball, and I was very impressed. We won the game somehow, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed uh, enjoyed well, watching that. And of course, our our Rangers are doing uh, very well. Yes, they are. Proud of. You know, I, I go way back with the Rangers. Then years ago, living in Dallas, that was a real special thing to get to go out to Arlington and actually see a game. At, uh, they've they've had their ups and downs, but show me a sports team that hasn't. Uh, we we don't get to see our basketball coach nearly as much because uh, he moved into the into a high rise. Uh, well, different things, and I certainly understand. But he he's not able to garden as much, even though he keeps some things up on that rooftop patio. But uh, don't see him once a week like we did for a while. So I have to admit I haven't been able to keep up with the team quite as much. But uh, uh, there's still a bunch of good wholesome people. That's what I've always felt about the Rangers. I, Cowboys, I'm not real sure about. We won't go down that road <laughs> right now. But I, so far as I can tell, the Rangers are still a pretty quality operation up there. Oh, man, they look great so far.
sensational last night. Of course, they're playing a great team, so we'll we'll see. Game two is tonight, so I'm glad they've got those indoor uh, stadiums now, or they may be worried <laughs> about getting it in. Well, it's it's definitely more comfortable, but you know, some parts of the country, and having been to Green Bay for the first time in my life. Uh, uh, I, I'm glad that I don't have any interest in watching sports up there. Those guys actually think it's fun to go sit out there when the temperature's about zero degrees and pride themselves on doing it. But uh, uh, give me a nice dome stadium any time. No kidding. I had an interesting question come in by uh, uh, email that I wanted to run by. There's a couple of a couple of points uh, in it to discuss and. It's a little bit of a mixed feeling about it because they they asked me what um, what I think and what to do after they had done a whole bunch of stuff that I <laughs> would not have done. So I did. I get that all it. the time. Yeah, I got that yeah. all the time. Is <laughs> did I make a mistake? And I say, why didn't you call me first? But no, please go ahead. I'm interested to hear. Well, uh, this is in Mansfield, Texas, so you know, you know black and yeah. white soil may not be too deep, but they said they removed 24 inches of construction fill dirt, and I guess, you know, that's where it's probably not a bad thing to do. Construction mm-hmm. fill dirt can be some pretty nasty stuff, and what they right. sell primarily, in fact, I know the company that in uh, Fort Worth that sells the most of that stuff, they call the cushion sand, you know, it's probably the worst mm-hmm. quality soil you can possibly <laughs> buy, but it's the cheapest, that's why it's used so much, that kind of reddish-brown right. color. Right. But anyway, they dug out 24 inches, and they brought in, they say, loads of mushroom compost, garden soil, uh, garden soil mix, whatever that is, and expanded shale, and uh, mixed it with... Uh, with native soil, which is good, but mm-hmm. uh, a couple of things, and again, since it was construction soil, maybe it's okay, but I never really recommend going down deeper in about 10 or 12 inches because there's not any oxygen below that point. Right. What's, uh, what's your take on that? You know, my first question would be about drainage and getting rid of 24 inches of that stuff up above. Are they just yeah. are they just sitting on top of a clay layer? Because, you know, just people just often don't realize how important oxygen in the soil is. And like you just said, you get down in a heavy soil like that, and you're getting pretty anaerobic if you get very deep. If you're getting in a soil that has been properly treated which means organically and you've got that soil structure built by the microbes then uh then you can go a lot deeper but uh um you know my 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 take would be you know look real carefully at what you put in there but boy go to work immediately you know with your garret juice with your microbe blends and things like that because that's the only way you're going to you know, you're really going to get good soil long-term is building up the microbial activity. And, no, I'm like you. I probably would not have recommended excavating that much. And uh, I probably... Yeah, the problem you know, is, 
when when you go down below t- ten or twelve inches, there's not enough oxygen in most cases uh, yep. to stimulate biological activity. So when you've buried a bunch of organic material below that, even if it's good quality compost and mm-hmm. other quality things, uh, you, you've got that head scratching uh, yep. to do. So, yep. and I'm not sure what to advise at this point with it already being done. It leads to the second question, and that is the mushroom compost. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I haven't recommended it. To, well, originally I recommended it quite a bit, and then we started seeing some issues with it, and I got to where I was not recommending it very much because of the ingredients that go in it. it it's, they use a lot of non-organic fertilizer, and, and raw material, once it first starts to break down, that's when they pull it out of the mushroom beds mm-hmm. and bring in some new fresh material. So you're, you're not getting... At least it's been my experience in the past, a real finished compost. Somebody called me a month or so ago and said they had used some mushroom compost and had really good luck with it. So I don't know if it's being made differently now or not. Do you have any any uh, input on that? Well, yes, and I I agree with you totally. The other negative about mushroom compost is that the way they sterilize those beds is with salt in between mushroom crops they use salt water and i guess the the biggest problem is every now and then you'll see somebody get a real salty batch and then things don't do well in it my my general objection is i'm not I'm not real pleased. I, I call mushroom compost a single-source compost, just like I call cottonburg compost a single-source compost. And when you've got that, you, you're getting a very limited blend of, uh, of microbes in there. And I, I'm a, a big fan of what I would call, what I like to call blended composts that are a mixture of you know manure compost of vegetable compost of leaf mold um it's you know there're just so many different things that can be put into compost and when you've got quite a quite a blend of things in there then you have naturally much more diverse microbial life in there and i think that's what makes really good compost i don't know enough about how they're making you know that base that they put the spawn on but uh it's um, I, I would I, I'll put it this way: I'd rather have that than biosolids compost. But uh, yeah. give me a good blend of manure compost or vegetable compost any time would be what I would much prefer. Well, that brings up a whole other issue we'll get into at the end here. But the way I understand to make the, the mushroom beds is that they use some raw, uh, pretty raw or completely raw straw as part of the. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, hay as part of the uh, the mixture. Maybe they're doing it different now. In the past, what I've recommended is kind of like what sounded like you were getting to there. I would tell them to mix some other kind of compost with it, yep. so you have a, a blend of the uh, two. But I I went through one period of time there where we were getting some input from people uh, was having some bad results, uh, mm-hmm. with, especially with vegetable gardens using mushroom compost. So. Anyway, it's there. I think doing a, a version of the, the detox, which of course we have on DirtDoctor.com, the detox program, which involves the Garrett Juice Plus, because there's a fine textured humate and compost tea both uh, in it, and then the, all the other amendments that I recommend. 
um, and you recommend too, but the other amendments there they've used, um, I've got some comments about too. Expanded shale mm-hmm. uh, was uh, used, I, and I've used it in the past. I, the first place was a great big bed in the backyard here, and I, it looked like it was working well, real friable soil and, and uh, good, but then when I replanted things in that area some years later, uh, it had gotten really hard. It yep. kind of reverted back to not being so great. I've just had much greater results using lava sand and uh, green sand and uh, azomite and things like that. If, have you had any good luck with the uh, expanded shell, which I know A&M and, and that ilk recommends very highly. Yeah, no, I, my, my experience is exactly the same as yours. Uh, it gets very hard, and uh, it, it tends to, it, it doesn't aerate well. It doesn't, it doesn't create a situation where you've got more oxygen in the soil. It loosens things up initially, but, uh, um, and we keep a bag or two around just because some people have to do what the extension service says, but, uh, let's say we probably sell a pallet of good compost for every bag of expanded shale that we that anybody wants to buy. But no, my my experience in that is uh, really is pretty much exactly the same. Okay, and then the final thing is that this uh, person that sent the note uh, talks about conductivity, and they seem to be very concerned about the conductivity of the soil. I've never paid any attention to that at all. No. And the reason is when you use what we recommend, good quality compost, organic fertilizer, the lava sand, the azomite, and, of course, what I recommend, I think you do too, the dry molasses and the mm-hmm. cornmeal, which are the two sugars, the microbe stimulators, uh, we don't have to worry about things like conductivity <laughs> and pH and all of those things with a lot of numbers attached. Uh, exactly. To them. And. Yeah, no, EC, electroconductivity, uh, you know, it's a measure to me basically of the salt content of the soil, and uh, that's what so many of these so-called moisture meters, they're not really measuring moisture at all. They're measuring the electroconductivity, and if you want to measure moisture, you need to use your index finger or your sawed-off golf club that you talk about all the time. So I'm, I'm not worried about it and i'm certainly not going to waste my money testing for it and ph is largely the same it's you know ph is a what is it the uh inverse of the log of the hydrion you know content or something else and i tell people don't look at the ph look at you know the content of what's in there if you've got humic acids i don't care whether the ph is seven or six or five or whatever and of course with the logarithmic scale you know, one number down is ten times more acidic or basic if you're going up. But uh, it's it's the you know it's it's just like nitrogen. It's the it's the state that the nitrogen is in, whether it's good or bad for the soil and for plants. So, yeah, I I think we're a hundred percent agreement uh, on that as well. And my other comment would have been in a situation like that, I would have much rather seen them dig down 10 inches and then mound up uh, 10 inches above i'm much more into berming an area up than digging a pit down into some questionable soil to begin with no i agree if you can do it without creating a drainage problem you know, exactly 
yeah. some drainage or something like that. Yeah, I think it's maybe the hardest thing for people to get that we teach or try to teach is that if you put the things in place that we recommend, and native soil, existing soil, and I tell people well, I don't care how bad it is, mm-hmm. even if it's construction soil, I'd get the debris out of it. But I would have, I would have probably left a lot of the construction soil mm-hmm. in place in this case, and then added the compost, the rock minerals, and the sugars to it. May let that create, like you're saying, a raised condition, and that furious biological activity that's created by that mixture that we use mm-hmm. will solve all the problems in pretty short order, really. It does, and I love trying to explain to people that it's sometimes hard to do about how the bacteria especially actually create that, what do they call it, sticky substance or something like that, and they yeah. glue soil particles together in an open, and I compare it to a honeycomb, although that's not 100% accurate, but they create soil structure, which is simply not there in sand or in heavy clay, either one. But good soil structure has plenty of oxygen, has water absorbing and holding capacity. And when you've got, you know, those things in there that are in, in the cation state, uh, which is what we're getting with the rock powders and things like that, then you built the capacity of the soil to hold fertilizer. So when we put on our good organic fertilizers, the plants get to use what they need, but the rest of it doesn't wash away. It stays right there bound in the soil until the plants are ready to use it. And uh, it, it creating good soil doesn't happen overnight, but if people simply follow the organic program, and in some cases, as necessary, the detox program. My first caller today was one of those people that had been victimized by a chemical spray company that had gotten the address wrong and come in and messed up her organic yard. And that's a whole other topic, too. But uh, it, it's, and, and I think it's back common, to... It's common, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and by the way, I meant to tell you... Uh, 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 that uh, I learned this week. I'd, I'd actually asked Bruce Dooley if uh, Delphine Beck was still with us, and he said that as far as he knew she was, I understand she passed away last week. Uh, oh, uh, I think wow, last I Tuesday. Sorry. Yeah, that, Sorry that's why I'm, that. I'm bringing it up. But just I, I, words of Malcolm that I always remember, he said, we don't feed the plants, we feed the soil, and the soil feeds the plants through microbial activity. And I've always thought that that was a very good thing to remind people of. Oh, yeah. I got a good tip on another quick quick subject that um, seems so logical, it's unreal, and I hadn't really thought about it in this way, and that is um, one of the listeners slash readers was telling me that they had been trying to remove small uh, trees coming up, hackberries and things like mm-hmm. that, coming up in fence lines and things like that. And it's a very common question that we get, right? Uh, of course. And they said that they had been removing them and then they would come back, you know, year after year. And then last year they removed them in the fall that during this mm-hmm. period of time. And they said they had a very small percentage of them come back. That really makes a lot of sense. You know, when you're Mm -hmm. removing things or killing things in the downturn of the moon, Mm -hmm. the uh, decreasing light of the moon, 
and at in the fall weather. And I think this would work, and I'm going to be experimenting with it in, in some areas of our vegetable garden where we still have some nutsedge, but I think it might work best with nutsedge, too, to do the physical removal and the treatments with the molasses at mm-hmm. you know at this period of time. We may get more effect than doing it at any other time of the year. That's an interesting thought. I. I think you're probably right. One question I would have is when they talk about removing things, does that mean trying to dig them up? Does that mean cutting them off at ground level? That means cutting them off below ground level in the case of hackberries, which, you know, are the big nemesis of so many of us because the birds sit on the fence line, poop out the hackberry yep. seeds, and then we've got a problem. So I would, I, I would ask what removal really means in this case. Well, I think they did a little bit of both, and I think uh-huh. they saw uh, less rejuvenation of the problem uh, plants across the board, which uh-huh. makes sense. I mean, if you get your haircut during the decreasing light of the moon, you don't have to get a haircut nearly as, as quick anymore. It, a lot of people raise their roll their eyes when they hear that. It <laughs> Until really they try it. <laughs> a factual kind of thing, but that makes sense to get rid of things, do uh, weed control, do removal of stuff you don't want during downturn of the moon and decreasing light of the moon and in the fall. I think people will see some great results. Makes makes all the sense in the world. People, you know, and I always tell people, if the moon's gravitational pull and the other things that the, the other influences that the moons have a, on the earth if if it's powerful enough to move the tides how can you deny that it's going to have other right. other impacts and uh uh you the know I talk, in, in plants yeah yeah but uh well before we before we go away one thing that's very timely and i know you're very reluctant to get political about things ha ha but i i have a question for you because i haven't really been able to to get to the root of the subject, so to speak, but there's an awful lot of talk going on about uh, constitutional amendments coming up, which I believe Election Day is next uh, next week. But this Prop 1, uh, Proposition 1 or Amendment 1 or whatever you want to call it, is being very highly pushed by farm organizations and by uh, TNLA and people like that, and that makes me very suspicious as well. But it's claiming that you know, we have to have this to, you know, let it, it guarantees farmers the right to keep on doing agricultural things, which all sounds well and good. And I haven't been able to get a, a word-for-word copy of it to really read it, but that immediately raises red flags for me, and it sounds like they're trying to make it harder for people to use limit the use of toxic pesticides, would make it harder yeah, to ban GMOs. Yeah. And so uh, tell me your take, and it, if you've studied Prop 1, and uh, what you think about it. Well, I haven't, other than just uh, you know, broad brush like you just went through, and I think that's exactly right. I think that's, that's what's going on. The organic movement is really starting to get a little bit of momentum, and part of it, I've talked briefly about this, some of the podcasters that are national podcasters that have become very, very powerful mm-hmm. are becoming quite vocal against GMOs and, and Roundup, and they're 
starting to have guests on that are uh, talking about organic farming and ranching and sustainable stuff, you know, starting to use those, those kind of terms. And I think it's throwing the fear uh, into the people that are, you know, that are pushing and, and still using the, uh, uh, the toxic chemical approach. So yeah. I haven't read it in detail, but I'm sure that that's probably uh, a lot of what it's about, and we probably ought to continue to talk about it and try to try to get some vote uh, against that would be my guess. I, I haven't read it in detail. Well, and I plan to do the same thing over the next couple of days just to find more. But, you know, they always they always pick what sounds real good, like the poor farmer that they, they wouldn't let him grow his crop more than 18 inches tall because then it would become a weed. And they're, they make a lot of, you know, points about how – Agriculture may be under attack one way or another, but if uh, it, it sounds to me like it, it would make it much more difficult for thinking people to and thinking communities to ban some of the bad practices of modern agriculture. So, uh, um, any any time that certain organizations start really jumping on the bandwagon to support something. That raises a red flag with me, and the deeper I look into it, the more concerned I am. I am about this that it, uh, um, you know, could could make it harder for thinking people to ban the use of some products we already know are very, very toxic, and uh, and you know, limit the use of GMOs, which we know are very bad. And as a matter of fact, one of the things Diane probably sent it to you was this uh, new study showing that. Uh, Glyphosate is a likely cause of uh, childhood leukemia, and going on to talk about some research done with rats and things that they gave uh, glyphosate to. And in the test group, uh, more than half of the rats, the uh, young rats, developed leukemia. In the control group, not a single one of them did. And I just thought it was kind of interesting to get both of those at the same time. Here, yet another study that shows that that glyphosate uh, has horrible effects on, you know, on our health, including cancer and many of the other things that we've talked about before. And at the same time, it sounds like this is a pretty overt attempt to uh, limit our ability to, to limit the use of it. So anyway, I wanted to get and your the take. Whole and thing the, is, the whole thing is couched behind the, the, uh, the feeling of uh, freedom. You know, being able to do what you want to do and uh, not be re restricted. But the evidence is, is is there. It's been there for a long time. It's piling up uh, to be greater and greater. And I think the best thing we have on our side that we need to preach about while we're objecting to that kind of stuff is that the natural organic approach, whatever you want to call it, works better in every yep. way. That's the most important thing, and that's the thing I think that terrifies them and is starting to catch on a little bit, is that the organic uh, way of doing things is, uh, you know, makes sense and it works, and it's even cost-effective, especially when you get into the kind of volume that we need mm -hmm. to have. Uh, it's an economy of scale thing, plus the fact governments, if they start subsidizing the organic approach, like they do the toxic chemical way, you know, the, the economics will really be on our side. Oh, I, and you're exactly right. And you've, you've spoken about that, you know, before. And, uh, uh, and and people always say, well, where's the proof? Well, we're getting more and more proof all the time. And uh, 
I once again, I'm uh, I'm always interested. I, I Rodale Institute is uh, is an organization that I'm more and more impressed with all the time, and uh, they have pretty well gotten a lot of lot of things done now. And they're doing this on 200 acre test plots, not on backyard gardens, but showing that people, farmers who have converted to the organic approach, that uh, the yield, even from the very beginning, is going to be uh, as good as the old traditional approach, but that by the time you get to the third year, that the organic approach produces higher volumes of what is, you know, undoubtedly much better quality in this, uh, you know, and the thing that I hear from recent A&M graduates all the time is, oh, yeah, your your way's good, but we can't feed the world that way. And yet we're getting more and more hard, cold facts that says, oh, yes, we can feed the world that way. As a matter of fact, we can uh, we can give them as much food. We can give them better quality food, which is going to reduce the incidence of things like diabetes and obesity and many other problems. And we're going to give them healthier food. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm more and more encouraged by the number of people and national national folks that are suddenly realizing that, hey, maybe there is something to this after all, and uh, maybe some of those chemical companies that are being portrayed as evil really are evil. So it's, uh, it, it's you know, one of these times that we, we, we always seem to get set back every now and then, but we also have some really encouraging things show up as well. But uh, anyway, I, you and I may talk later this week if we learn more about uh, the, the downside yeah, of this Prop 1 because... Uh, uh, the fact that that some organizations are pushing it so hard tells me that there's probably a dark side to it that they don't want to talk about. Yeah. Let's do that. And one of the national treasures we have is a guy named Graham Hancock, who's written a bunch of books and did a Netflix special uh, that I recommend everybody see, too. But one of the things he was talking about on the podcast I heard him on recently was uh, uh, – What's the term for the uh, biochar type thing that's in the Amazon? Uh, Terra Petra, something like that. Uh He was talking about that and how that was responsible for you know great production and everything there and in uh, that land. They're finding more and more evidence from uh, this special kind of radar that they've got finding Mm. uh, ancient you know construction stuff and then this Terra Petra. Uh, all over the place, and it was the secret of great production. Well, you know that's a that's an organic kind of thing, and he was oh, even yeah. mentioned that biochar is the current attempt to go back toward that mm-hmm. technology that was so successful in the past. So there's a lot of big things happening. We'll keep talking about all this stuff and uh, keep uh, trying to spread the word. They absolutely, yeah, there's so much fascinating stuff out there. Howard will never run out of things to talk about, but, uh, I, you know, we talk about books that we've enjoyed, and I, I can't remember the exact name, but it's something like the, uh, the Kingdom of the White Monkey God or something like that. And it talks about this new specialized radar that they have, you know, that they are using now to uncover some ancient things. But anyway, it's a story about, uh, you know, one of the ancient civilizations that they find and actually go into and 
find out that what wasn't the thing that killed the people out was eventually disease. But anyway, it, it talks a little bit more about uh, about some of these new technologies and things. And it's it's a good read. I'll uh, I'll have to recommend it. You know, I'll get a little bit more information on that. But uh, yeah, it's um, it, and it's an interesting thing that uh, you know. And we could talk all day about rainforests and things like that. But in general, the soils in those areas are pretty poor. But uh, and biochar is the way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That that biochar was what some of the ancient peoples did without really knowing why, but they knew that it restored the soil, and it's probably a combination of, you know, chelating toxic elements and at the same time encouraging microbial life. But uh, bottom line is, it works. <laughs> it it well, really they made it own a whole lot more than uh, we do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, listen, we could go on talking on and on, but I know you've got places to go and things to do. But one last thing I wanted to ask is uh, one of my good friends and regular callers was asking why, you know, you never see rice as something in bird seed, and she was asking, she was wanting to throw away some old rice and wanting to know if birds would benefit from it, if they would go to it, or if there was any harm in it. Do you know anything about that? Well, on the Internet, you know you can believe everything on the Internet. It says <laughs> that uh, raw rice and cooked rice both are perfectly uh, fine to feed the birds. So, uh until we find out more, I think that's uh, a good takeaway on that. <laughs> well, I'm sure Joyce is listening and uh, will benefit from your comments. But uh, as always, just thanks for the insights and just the, the good discussions that we seem to manage to come up with. And uh, I think we need to do it again next Saturday. Sounds like a great idea. I'll try to send you a little rain. In the meantime, it's still pouring here. So uh, we will take week, We'll take it, it then. Thank you, Howard, very much. Goodbye. All right, uh, Donna, tell you what, uh, I guess we better get a break in. We'll try to get a few more phone calls in. Uh, this is Gardening here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, well, let's uh, get back to the phone lines. Um, and I believe we've got Christy waiting. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, gorgeous day up here in Mason. Very so first good. First a comment, then a question. Yeah. So when you go to a football game in Green Bay, you uh-huh. put any freeze in your body before the game. <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's awesome. Well, I'll take your I'll take your word for it, but uh I've got Trust I think me, great... done it quite a few times. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing with us. I appreciate it. Now, second or uh, the question actually. So, my peach trees um Still doing really well. Some nice light green leaves, but up here we are going to, they say, get to 30. Mm-hmm. Is there it's anything same. I need to do or just let them, let them be? If, uh, I and them all last weekend, so. Yeah. And for everybody, a good, thorough drink is probably the single most important thing we do. You've got a mulch. You've got everything going the right way. But uh, I don't know if you all were blessed with any of the good rains. Some of us got good rain. Some of us got very little rain. 
But going five in, inches in the gauge. Oh, I'm, I'm in jealous. Forty-eight yeah. hours, five wow. inches. Well, <laughs> you need to start sharing. That's all I can say. I'm but trying. Yeah, the 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 main thing is is you know, and again, this is not forecast to be a hard freeze, but always good deep watering before the freeze. But stop watering when that temperature drops below freezing. But uh, uh, right. no, you don't need to do anything. Your peaches, it's time for them to drop their leaves. It's time for them to start accumulating chill hours so they can bloom and produce for you next spring. But uh, no, I you're you're in great shape. I can't think of a thing I would tell you to do. Okay, super. I was just worried about that. I'm like, no. oh, they've, they're still putting on, you know, new green leaves. No, they, they may, we, we may, in the ground. yeah, we may get a little very minor damage since they haven't had a chance to harden off. But again, it's not a hard freeze, so we may lose some foliage, but nothing's going to cause us any problem uh, this early. And a lot of deer hunters are going to be very happy up in your part of the world. Yeah, not me, though. I'm like, deer, come here, because I'll shoot the hunter if you're coming. <laughs> well, we won't go down that road. Christy, you have yeah. a wonderful weekend, and uh, and we'll look forward to our next visit. Um, you take care. Just, okay, thank you so much. One other, well, I'll tell you what, Don, I know we need to get one more break in here before the end of the show, so let's do that. And then I want to run through the events and maybe take uh, have time for another call before the show's over. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Don tells me we don't have any calls right now. Might have time for one more if you want to call in quickly, but I want to take a minute right now, and we're getting into that time in the fall when there's some really fun events taking place, and uh, I think today is the state, uh, well, yesterday and today, will be the big state African violet show that is uh, up in Kerrville, the end of the hills, I believe. So in African violets, you certainly want to look into that. Next Saturday, uh, I want to tell you about three different events. One of them, really biggie, the Green Spaces Alliance, they do their nature fest down at uh, Mission County Park on the south side. And uh, there's too much going on for me to run through everything there, but it's really a family event. And it's a wonderful event. Green Spaces Alliance does all sorts of good things. But uh, uh, next Saturday, I believe, starts around 9 o'clock, 9 to 1, I think, are the hours. And uh, you can simply Google Green Spaces Alliance, and uh, you'll, you'll learn all about it. But that's Nature Fest and uh, family-friendly fun activity, and that's next Saturday. Other thing that takes place next Saturday morning is you get a little further up in the hill country, actually between uh, Pipe Creek and Bandera. Uh, the Castle Lake Volunteer Fire Department is having their annual turkey shoot, and no, they're not really shooting turkeys unless they happen to be made of paper. But uh, this is a great chance if you're up in that area to uh, support uh, your local volunteer fire department. And a really fun fun morning of it up there. And uh, Again, I'm sure if you uh, Google Castle Lake Fire, uh, you'll get all the information there. If you were listening earlier, you heard somebody telling us how it's uh, just north, about three miles north of Pipe Creek. You turn to get over that way. And uh, anyway, that's a good event. The event where I will be next Saturday night is the Bergheim, not Bergheim, uh, Candelia Volunteer Fire Department. They're having their annual Mexican food supper at the firehouse up in Candelia. 
And let me tell you, it is quite an event. It's a delicious meal and very reasonably priced, by the way. And uh, you can even get an extra one to go if the whole family can't can't make it up there. But uh, they have uh, live auction, silent auction. They have a uh, oh, they have raffles. They ha- it's it's just a great evening. And once again, supports the guys and gals that keep us safe. I feel so blessed that with all the drought that we haven't had severe fires in the Texas Hill Country, but the reason is the fires we have had, our volunteer fire departments, men and women, jump on them in a hurry, get them out before they have a chance to turn into the kind of conflagration that we've seen some places uh, that's so sad because we've been so dry. But anyway, I'll be up supporting the Candelia Volunteer Fire Department and uh i uh, love to have you come up and join us. They never seem to run out of food. And I suspect it starts about 5.30 uh, next Saturday afternoon or evening and uh, goes on into the evening. It's kind of come and go, but i uh, love to see you up there. Now, the following weekend, I think that will be the 11th if I've got my dates right, uh, one big event that uh, if you're a history buff and if you're an airplane buff, well, you can kind of – combine those two interests because the what they call these days commemorative air force used to be the confederate air force but uh, commemorative air force they're based out of uh, san marcus and they have their what they call their hangar dance and it's a great chance to get up some good dancing music up there and a great supper this year it's black's barbecue and i think everybody knows their reputation but uh um uh, anyway, that's going to be a great event. Google Hangar Dance, and uh, that takes place next uh, Saturday evening. I understand now on volunteer fire departments, uh, the Sisterdale Fire Volunteer Fire Department is having their annual barbecue and shrimp fest up there also on uh, a week from Saturday. That's the 11th of November. And uh, So anyway, there's things for you to do both next weekend and the following weekend and uh, support some very good organization. I think we've got time to get one more call in here, and that would be Mike. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Bob. Where's my blue sky? <laughs> Coming. It'll be here soon enough. Uh, some of us would like to see another two or three inches of rain before the blue sky comes back, though. Well, I'll ask you real quick. I have my brother-in-law, Alan, here uh, from Plano, and he's reading uh, the Plano newspaper on his mm-hmm. tablet. And it showed that a historic 400-year-old oak tree was knocked over in a storm. Huh. And my, my question is, could that be replanted, you know, with a couple of cranes or whatever, trim some of the limbs off it? Uh, could it be uh, replanted back in the same spot? Well, chances are they would do more damage trying to replant it than leaving it at it as it is. But, um, and then you said oak tree, not pecan, right? The oak tree, yes, sir. Yeah. And and do you know if it's a live oak or a Spanish oak? If it's really old, it's probably a live oak. It is live oak from uh, okay. what it looks like on the, the tablet here. Well, my my advice to them would be to just leave it alone. I, I've got a live oak in my yard that uh, rather than just blow over, it just snapped off about oh three feet off the ground maybe didn't snap completely but it broke and just leaned over on the ground that was about eight or ten years ago and that tree has continued to grow and thrive and there is many a tree from live oaks to mesquite to everything else across south texas that 
at one time or another we get a bunch of rain which softens up the soil and then we get a bunch of wind which knocks trees over so i my suspicion and i'm not obviously seeing this tree is that that tree's going to go right on growing it's not going to have the same majestic shape that it once had but I'm pretty certain that trying to stand it back up, you'd break and damage many more roots. Uh, and I think its chances of surviving and growing are much better if they will just leave it alone. Now, once again, it's not going to be a beautiful, upright, spreading canopy like it was. But uh, it could easily live another 100 or 200 years uh, if, well, you know, if it didn't lose more than half of its roots. And like I say, I've seen it happen many, many times. And... You know, I always want people to be watching the road, but if you have somebody else driving you, if you look around just about any metropolitan area, you will see trees that are blown over, but if they have room and if they're given the chance, most of them go right on growing. Uh, some of them have more brittle wood. Elms and red oaks tend to have wood that's more brittle and don't always do as well, but live oaks, mesquite, uh, even pecans, and I know down along the Guadalupe River, um, the uh, big old, uh, old horse apples, modark trees, uh, I can tell you where I've seen a number of them that have been tipped over in floods and things like that. And, you know, they've grown. It's been 20 years since we really had much in the way of floods, and yet those trees are doing very well. So uh, long answer to a short question, I would just leave that tree alone. I wouldn't try to stand it up, but by leaving it alone, I think you give it a great chance to go on growing and living a lot longer. And it's laying right on its, you know, just laying right down. Yeah. Roots up in the air. So, yeah. Well, it was well, just a thought I was to ask you. If, if they were going to do anything, I would tell them to, uh, you know, get a get a backhoe or something and dump a bunch of root of soil over the exposed root system. The less that dries out, the better it's going to be, and maybe even fill in some dirt below where that root ball is tipped up. But uh, they're just going to kill that tree if they try to stand it back up. Well, that's a shame. It's a beautiful tree, and it's getting right close to your news time, and uh, uh, I don't have anything else to ask you. Uh, <laughs> well, then you get out and do a rain dance for us all, and uh, I know we'll talk again. Mike, I appreciate the call and appreciate knowing this morning. Thank you, sir. Uh, okay, well, thank you much, and uh, I will tell you that my uh, – uh, dragon fruit or good very good hopefully getting better and i gotta go